Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel, most times they crash, hard, into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I happen to be a very litigious individual. This month, we are starting a new series on Cinemodities. It is going to be a doozy. It's going to get a, a combination, I would say, of you know those, those weird movies and those popular ones. We're starting, though, off with a popular one, which I, we gave it away in the title yet again. But this is the Rappers Turned Actor series. And that's, that's what I thought of it as, and that's what it's been in the spreadsheet as. But I think maybe it should be Rappers as Actors type of thing. And this whole series, all, all four of this episodes this month, are going to be movies that feature rappers in minor, supporting, or main roles. And, oh boy, this one's minor. But before we get into the rapper that appears in, in this uh, movie, I did want to give a mention of that this is, it's been a long time since, Rob's always had some say, but this was where Zach finally gave him a little more control over the series. With the caveat that we talk about this movie, which was uh, an easy an easy give I could uh, hand to Zach. And so this was inspired, I had this idea a while back, um, by the line from uh, Bonfire, the song by Childish Gambino. And the actual line is, man, why every black actor gotta rap some? Man, why does every black actor gotta rap some? I don't know. All I know is I'm the best one. But when I had the idea for this series, I wasn't listening to the song. I was talking about the song with somebody else, and we both misremembered it, and we thought it was, man, why every black rapper gotta act some? And that's why I was like, oh, these rappers all have to act, and I had this idea for this theme to, you know, get these musicians in movies. And then when I listened to the song again, I was like, oh, I switched it around. But it doesn't matter. We're loose enough with our own rules to make things like this work, Zach, right? <laughs> oh, definitely, Rob. And so we are not really picking any movies by the certain rapper that's in it. Um, we're really kind of just picking movies that we want to discuss that also happen to have rappers in them. And this first one, Uncut Gems, comes along with the musician The Weeknd, who plays a very minor role, but you know he's a, he's a plot device, I would say, in this film. And even though he's more R&B than rap, I don't even know if you could consider him at, as a rapper at all, I do have to say that it still slides in under the radar <laughs> because in the uh, first time Adam Sandler goes into his shop, like in, the, in that first scene where he goes into his shop and Damani's there and there's this other dude who's like, you know, looking to buy some stuff, that's actually cash out the S in cash as a dollar sign. Oh, and he is a rapper. He is an actual rapper. And then also in the club scene later on, one of the people hanging out with Damani is Trinidad James, who is also another rapper who has actually got really popular in 2012 when this movie takes place. So the rappers, and that's why I said at the start, this is a series that features rappers in minor roles. They really are in minor roles. I think Cash Out has like a sentence. I don't think Trinidad James says anything. But, you know, the weekend's in there, so it, it works out. <laughs> it does. Like I, like I said, though, this was, this was the, um, the caveat that we could do this Rappers as Actors series as long as we got uncut gems in there. And I was like, well, okay. 
because I guess it's time to jump into our context with it. Uncut Gems, Zach and I both saw back when it was in its short theatrical run, and we both really enjoyed it, and we've seen it since, and it's, it's a pretty unique movie, as I'm sure we'll get into talking about. But I have to tell the story, because I know I, uh, I said it on the Knights of Vader podcast once, but it has to be covered here as well, was that I saw the trailer for this in front of something. I can't even remember what I saw this, the trailer for this in front of at an actual theater. And I was like, Adam Wasn't it Joker? Wasn't it Joker, I think? It might, it might have been Joker. That seems like the timeline could be right. Because I'm trying to think of, I also saw Knives Out. I don't know no, if that would have been. It was earlier. It was earlier. Okay, it was earlier. Okay, yeah. So it probably was Joker. The only other thing I can think of would be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I, I can't. My timeline. Uh, no that it had to be. I'm thinking it was Joker. It seems like a okay, movie that okay. would be, jo- they would put the trailer for this in front of Joker. Okay. So I saw it. I was like Adam Sandler in a serious role. You know, I've I've seen that a few times before, and I the trailer didn't really do much for me. Like I didn't even really didn't really even stick with me um, as trailers usually don't stick with me. Um, but then I think it was maybe a week, month or so after that fact where Zach and I were talking before we started recording, and he was like, have you heard about, about this movie? Like, Adam Sandler in a serious role is this, like, Diamond District guy. And I'm like, oh, Uncut Gems. He's like, yeah. And, and I think the trailer piqued your interest a little bit. And I was mm-hmm. kind of like, eh, it doesn't, didn't really do anything for me. And I only saw that trailer that one time. Go or fast forward to December of 2019, when I have to go see Star Wars so I can uh, get Zach, give Zach his uh, his... Filthy casual perspective for Knights of Vader. And I plan to go see Star Wars. I get down to the theater. And I'm really not... I wouldn't say I was, like, in pain because I had to go see Star Wars. I just wasn't feeling it, you know? And I get there, and I'm totally ready to go see Star Wars. Like, that's that's my plan, was to leave, go to the theater, and see Star Wars at a 4.30 p.m. showing. And I get there, of course, you know, maybe 20 minutes, 15 minutes early. And as I'm, like, ready to get the ticket, I see that... Uncut Gems is playing at 4.30 in the same theater. And I'm like, oh, that's that movie that Zach mentioned something to me about and I didn't really like have any interest in. And for whatever reason, I don't even think I can pinpoint exactly why, I was like, I'm going to see Uncut Gems instead and save Star Wars for another day. And I'm really glad I did because I think I talked to Zach after I saw it and I was like, man, that movie was something else. Like, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. It was really, really good. And then I think that's when uh, Zach got it and back on his radar, if it ever left his radar, and you saw it in theaters as well. And I think uh, that's the uh, both the last movie. Well, I saw Star Wars. Damn, I saw Star Wars in theater after Uncut Gems. So my last theater movie before the um, the plague occurred was Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Okay. Oh God, Rob, what a. Fascinating movie be the last movie ever could see in a movie theater. Um, no, Rob obviously laid out a lot of my context for this, but um, yeah, it pretty much unfolded the way he said. Um, I I originally wanted to see this in theaters back in De- actually yeah back in like December, and then I I wanted to do a double feature on New Year's Day of Cats. I wanted to do a double feature, and I wanted to do uncut gems in another movie and i'm like oh i'll do uncut gems and cats and that just did, wouldn't work no matter how i would cut it based on the timing mm. and then i changed it to oh i'll go see cats in the rise of skywalker and that turned out to be a very disastrous choice because <laughs> cats is a nightmare um 
And then I found uncut. I, I watched uncut gems in the way that Rob typically watches movies. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then yep. I was like, wow, I wish I would have seen this in theaters. Cause I really love the song. They play over the, the ending credits. And so through some, I don't know why, but it showed up back in theaters in like early February and I saw it then in a theater, an empty theater with two other people. And we'll obviously we'll get into the part of the story about the, the thing that was bookending this particular showing, the special footage. But I remember <laughs> there was two, I thought it was, gonna be, it was going to be one of those movies where I was there by myself and I got like two older guys. And at the end of the movie, I think they got up and they're like, we should have seen the Jamie Foxx, Michael B. Jordan movie instead, where it's like, I think there's like, he's like, I'm, I think Jamie, Jamie Foxx is like on death row and Michael, D, Michael oh, B. Jordan saves him. Yeah. Whoever that, he's the whoever lawyer that, in the, in the projects or something like that. Yeah. Yes. One of those. And I, I'm like, oh, I'm like, you people don't deserve this movie. <laughs> and, and. I sat there and I was disappointed because I wanted to hear that end credit song over a nice sound system and it sounded worse than my television. <laughs> oh, and I was like, damn. Damn. Were you were you in the big theater or, the, or if no, in February no, they were putting this no, on the side? No, no, ones, no right? that, that was that was a side theater. Yeah, um, that, okay. Uncut, Uncut Gems never made it into the big theater. Um, that would be <laughs> fascinating. If it, if it did, it would have been fascinating uh, for a bunch of reasons. But uh, no, oh, so uh, and, that, and Uncut Gems is the last movie I ever saw in, in a movie theater and since the plague has occurred. Yep. <laughs> so uh, yeah, fascinating that Rob's last was Star Wars and mine was this movie and. Uh, Three months later, or well, by the time this is out, three months later, neither one of us has, nobody's been to a movie theater. Yeah, and uh, I can't say that I'm really upset about that. <laughs> I miss the movie theater. I, I, I was, I'm disappointed. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, there's really no movies I'm excited about, like, on the horizon. The mm -hmm. only one I was, like, I really wanted to see No Time to Die, the James Bond oh, movie. Yep. I, that looked really good, and I'm disappointed. I have to wait. Oh, God, the rate things are going probably until next year to finally see that. Um. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I'm disappointed the movie theaters are closed. Like, I again, I, well, I'm disappointed everything is closed. Um, sure, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, you can't just limit it to movie theaters. I'm disappointed about everything. Um, but yeah, so uncut gems. The uh, it's it's I I've seen it now three times, and like Rob said, it is a uh, it is a movie. It is a movie. Oh yeah, yeah. So I guess I guess where I wanted to start with this was um this was my first introduction. Uh, and any knowledge at all of the uh, Safety brothers or Safety brothers, and we haven't brought it up. Remember our rule, though, Zach. We're going to pronounce their names any way we want until they come on this podcast and correct <laughs> us. So if I we switch between Safety and Safety, and and I know we heard their names said in some stuff, but I still I'm going to be that stubborn, and I we need them on this podcast to correct. I, us. <laughs> I, I nothing will ever build, beat the pronunciation of Denis Villanueva. That will. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing will ever beat that initial pronunciation. So uh, call them whatever you like, Rob. Call them whatever yeah. sort of brothers you'd like. So so this was my first introduction to the Safdie brothers. I had no knowledge of them prior to, to this movie. And it was only in like reading about this movie after I saw it that I started to hear about some of their earlier movies. Most uh, notably, I think, was Good Time, because that was their movie previous to Uncut Gems. And, you know, Good Time, I heard it had Robert Pattinson in it. And I'm like, okay, you know, he's still the Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire kid and the Twilight guy to me. <laughs> and um, I, I've, I had only heard, I think, some tangential stuff about the Batman, and I have, I have no interest in that at all. I don't want to even hear about it. 
uh, let alone see it. But I was kind of like, oh, man, they made a really kind of, you know, tense movie. And I, I think that when I first saw it, I described it to Zach as stressful. But now Uncut Gems, I think more more than stressful or tense, I think it's an exercise in anxiety. Uh, and and I really like that. Now, that's what latched I latched on to the first time I saw it because I was like, wow, this is something I, you know, I, I haven't seen a lot of movies that, you know, do that. And sure, it slows down in some places, but it like always finds crazy ways to pick back up, like him leaving his child's play to, to confront the goons or whatever. And he gets, you know, into Eric Bogosian's car. But I was like, oh, wow, I should check out more of their movies. And I was able to see Good Time. And Good Time was excellent. It's a it's a very different movie in terms of, you know, what it's actually about. But once I saw Good Time, I was kind of like, ah, these guys have a style. They just want to make you uncomfortable while you're watching their movie. They want you to be angry with their characters, it seems. You have not seen Good Time, right? I have not. I saw the preview okay. for it in front of the Uncut Gems Blu-ray, but I have still never seen it. Okay, okay, so... So, um, uh, have you seen any of their other movies? I don't even know any of their I, names. I, I have not. I've, all, okay. I can, I've, been, I've been aware of them for, for since 2017 with Good Time. But um, is it Good Time or Good? It's Good Time, right? It's Singular? Good Time, yeah, Singular. Good yeah. Time. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that trailer in theaters back in, like, whenever, like, again, 2017, being like, wow, this is interesting. But, like, it was interesting in a very specific way, which obviously it's, like Rob said, it's a very specific theme that they have or style of mm-hmm. filmmaking. But, yeah, it was. A, I, I can remember seeing that trailer just being like, okay, this is uh, this looks different. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what I'm saying, is that it's different, is that, you know, they have this vision for anxiety, stress, uh, tension. There's a lot more tension, I would say, in Good Time than there was in Uncut Gems. But I I think it all boils down to, and I do want to see their other films, you know, it looks like they only have four prior to Good Time, so six total. And I I think that they just love writing things, because they have written, uh, it looks like, five out of their six movies. They love writing things about people making terrible decisions. <laughs> yeah. Be- because, uh, you know, good time, the the inciting incident of the plot is that the two brothers, like, rob a bank, and they met, they screw it up so bad that one of the brothers gets caught, and no, that's the bad decision. And not that there aren't other bad decisions in that movie, but I, I was so tempted, like, I, I wish I thought of it earlier, when I was watching Uncut Gems for this recording, I thought about it maybe halfway through, where I was like, man, I should have started at the beginning of the movie, taking notes and just being like, okay, this is bad decision number one. This is bad decision number two. This is bad decision number three. Because it's just nonstop. Adam Sandler, Howard Ratner in this film, cannot keep himself under control. And it's 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 so anxiety-inducing to see, but it's great at the same time. <laughs> mm. uh, that's the thing where... I, okay, I, I again, I did. I, I tried to listen to and get some other opinions on this. Oh, sure. And I know, and I know, Rob and I, like, even when Rob was first telling me about this film before I'd ever seen it, he's like, "Oh, this is an exercise in watching someone make poor decisions." And I, I even rewatching it this time in preparation for this recording, I never felt that way while watching it, and I still don't. Um, I, I don't see like Adam Sandler. Yes, he's he's always in a situation that's obviously. Uh, not desirable, but mm-hmm. I've never seen as him making bad decisions. He's a, he's a guy that's trying. He's just trying to hustle his way out of every problem. And sure, that's 
not the way you do things though, but he's somebody that's just he's he's borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. And he figures if he keeps doing these things, that he'll eventually be able to strike it big. He's essentially playing the law of averages. That's how I mm. I never had a problem with that. That's why I I don't get me wrong, it is a, a thriller of a film. It's has you on the edge of your seat, but I I don't feel tense as in like, oh, like it's one of those moments where you're like, oh, you're watching someone kind of just like uh, what's the word? Step on the rake repeatedly. I never saw sure. it as that. I saw this as a guy that's just constantly trying to better himself in ways that are obviously not ideal. And every single time he's on the verge of hitting it big, he he gets hit in the face. Interesting. That's an interesting take. So I I think I I would agree with what you're saying in the sense of you know as the movie progresses, as he's going from situation to situation, hustle, like you said, is a great way to put it. And I guess those are bad decisions, but they're being made kind of the whole movie, the the what I would call bad decisions of kind of the bulk of the movie are all predicated by the, I think, the objectively bad decision to lend the, the gem to Kevin Garnett. Like, that is just a stupid decision, right? I... Because he gets uh, peer that, pressured into it. Well, I think the thing is that, like, look at the business he's in. Like, he's in a business where everything is based on, like, just getting your name out there, trying to outdo somebody else. And what's one way to really kind of, like, build some cred with somebody is you loan out this thing. Like, sure, objectively speaking, it is a bad decision. But he's in a business where he's doing all these – again, I, I don't know what the diamond business – is was like in 2012 in New York City, but he's he's a hustler and sure, like I'm not saying everybody in that business is doing what he's doing, but I think he is someone who's trying to outdo everybody else in any means he sees possible by any means possible, and that's just yeah. one way of being like, you know what, I can build some cred up with Kevin Garnett by loaning this to him, and then when he brings it back to me, he'll go to the auction and pay an exorbitant price for it because he. I, he built this relationship with this opal that he wouldn't, he's, it's, he's trying to create more of a demand for the opal. That's how I see it mm-hmm. by loaning it to him. So when it does go to the auction, Kevin Garnett will just, will buy it, will bid as high as he has to. And I think there's a lot of miscalculation out of the, of the maybe mm-hmm. making objectively bad decisions. I like, I like that, that they're there. He, he, he knows what goal he's going after. He just isn't taking, like you said, not the most ideal choices to get there. <laughs> and I think that's what it is. He's a guy who clearly, like, he's successful. And, like, we, we don't know how he got to the position he's in. Because, like, when we were introduced to Howard, like, he has his own jewelry business. Sure, like, he again, he, he's involved with this Ponzi scheme to end all Ponzi scheme to keep his <laughs> life afloat. And that's yep. the thing, too, is that, like, he, he has to do this in order to stay afloat. And, but like, he has his business, he has a nice home, like, obviously his original wife, or his wife still, I, uh, Dina, hates him, he has three kids, they're all kind of like, outside of the youngest, are both kind of just stupid, or just kind of like, resent him to two, like, to different uh, layers, um, yep. degrees, I mean, uh, but like, again, he has this attractive girlfriend that works for him, that, tr- I have to say, like, is the only person, the only character in the movie that truly cares about him. Yep, yeah, the only one that's really on his side, yeah. Yeah, and seems to be regardless of all the abuse that he dishes out to her. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I think, you know, on that point, like you said, we don't know how he got into this business. I really I really liked that, you know, even though this isn't a short movie, I think it comes in at, what, 2.15, that they, they don't give us any of the bullshit that I feel like a lot of movies would give us, where it's like, you know, 
we have no idea how we got into this business. We have no idea how we got into this, you know, hundred grand hole with Eric Bogosian, who's like his brother-in-law or something like that. And we we don't know why him and the wife are, are broken up or kind of half separated, it seems. We don't know why the girlfriend's working with him. And it's just like, because we don't need to know any of that. Well, it's just well, I do, story I starts think, and go. Yeah, it's not focused on, but it's there. Like, like all those things you said are kind of laid out in the context of the movie. If you just like, I come on, this is a very, very for again, like you said, a two hour plus film it is Oh God, paste. God, it's breath naked. Uh, breath na- Oh my God, you know what I'm trying to say, everybody. Uh, breakneck pacing, and I think all those things. Like we know he he borrowed the hundred thousand from Arno to buy the opal. Like that's the thing. Like like when he's when, when Kevin Garnett confronts Ooh. him toward the end, like we hear like, yeah, oh I, yeah, I had to borrow a hundred thousand or to buy this, and it's like oh. That's why he's like in the hole with Arno. And that's why like this whole thing. And that's why Arno is there during the auction to see like, okay, I want to see this thing pay off after all this time. And then when it comes to Dina, uh, this is one where it's, it's interesting that in the behind the scenes featurette that Rob and I watched, there's a deleted scene feature where Dina goes to his office. It's, it's shown like in fly on the wall, like, mm-hmm. like, Thing, but like, and she says something. Idina, uh, oh god, I don't want to call her Idina Menzel. She's a Del Dazim. Ever since <laughs> yes. John Travolta called her that, she's a Del Dazim to me. Um, and that's how I'm gonna refer to her, much like how Rob said we can call the safety safety brother. She's a Del Dazim until she comes on and tells me that's not her name. She's a Del Dazim. Um, but no, like, she's like, oh, I want, I, I forget the exact wording, but she's like, oh, like, I want to see your little floozy. And it's like, like, is she around? And he's like, I don't know. He's, she's somewhere. It's like, and that's, I think it's just the notion of obviously the wife was bitter to him and he mm-hmm. probably found the girlfriend by working to him or Julia. He probably found her after she started working for him or that's when that started. I don't, I guess thing, I don't think Howard is a malevolent character. He's, he's really the the least aggressive character he's he's very he's on the defensive when he does lash out he's doing it out of feeling like he was wronged oh yeah yeah absolutely no I, so i i get what you're saying and i think that's that's what i'm getting at is that you know the um it's all implicit you know and and it's all kind of like we have to learn it because we have to pay attention to the movie where you know i'm thinking of uh, another movie not as you know well crafted as this one it would be something like on that first, like when the goons first show up to the shop and they're there for Arno or for to get Arno's not there, but the two Phil and the other guy are there and they're like, where's our money? You know, I feel like they would say something like you borrowed the hundred grand from us to get this gem and it took you 17 months. And it's like, and it's like, it's not really spelled out. You really have to, oh, yeah. you know, pay attention. And that's, that's like, like I said, at two fifteen, I I would be expecting any other movie like this to be like, Man, they could have cut all that out and made it like a solid 90 and just implied this stuff. And they they did all the implication and kept it at a good length with a great pace with, you know, I don't think there's a lot of stuff I would cut out. If anything, it would maybe be lengths of scenes that I would be like, why are we f-? like after they um after the girlfriend does coke with the with the weekend in the club and they have their fight, there's just like that extended like 45 seconds of her just walking down the street. And she like yells at the people in line, and I'm like, okay, you could probably slim that down. Then, but there's no major things in here where I'm like, you got to get rid of it because they they make everything implied. They, it's great storytelling. 
Yeah, and I think again, like, I, there's nothing. I even watching this now for a third time, I don't think there's anything that I would cut out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think every scene has a purpose to adding to the overall story. I I don't think there's anything superfluous in this film, or just like kind of just like there for. I don't know. There's a lot of embellishing, like there's a lot of flourishes, but I don't think it's anything to the detriment of the film overall. Yep, yep, yeah, and and you know even even the stuff that I would say in the grand scheme of things doesn't really matter. Um, that's that's also there's not enough of it to make it feel bloated. Like the thing that came to mind on this last viewing was when um. It's the the second day of the movie when he's Adam Sandler's at the auction house and he's waiting for Damani to come bring him the opal, and then Damani's like, "Yo, I'm outside. You got to come talk to me." And he like Adam Sandler leaves the auction house and those two random people just come up to him and they're like, "You owe me thirty two grand." And he's like, "Take this watch and it's the fake Rolex." <laughs> and, and then it's like that dude pops up like one more time later on and he's like, "You gave me a fake Rolex," and it's like. That's so. That has to be like a com- combined like minute at most, and it it adds to the story in the sense of it doesn't matter who these people are. It just is like you know, even though we're focused on this one opal, Kevin Garnett and and Eric Bogosian, like that triangle of characters and what uh, Howard's trying to accomplish. It also shows that you know he's in deep with pretty much everybody, even the pawn shop owners that he gives the uh, Celtic ring to. And then even when he sells the Michael Jackson on the cross, there's the guy in the club who's like, I want that back. And Howard's just like, ah, what? <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's, it's, I think it's a movie about hustling. I think everybody's trying to hustle everybody else. Mm-hmm. And ahead, yeah. What, yeah, and that's what, I, again, that's what happens with Howard. That's what happens with Damani. That's what's even happening with Julia. It's it's what's happening with all of them. Like, even like at one point, like when she's in the bathroom with The weekend, and when Howard confronts them and they're screaming outside the club, she's like, I was on the verge of a big deal or like a big sale. Mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, so like she has her own thing going on too. She's not just simply like, and obviously she's using her looks and her attractiveness to her advantage, but like, that's, that's a thing too. Is like everybody's has a hustle. Like even when, yeah. um, uh, Adam Sandler's father-in-law, Judd Hirsch, Gooey, when they show up to the yeah. auction house, they, they don't go there just to see Howard. They're like, oh, my grandson wants to see Kevin Garnett and get stuff like, yep. uh, autographed. Like, and that's the thing. Nobody's doing anything for each other. They're solely doing it for some level of gain. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. Is that, like Howard's just unfortunately at the bottom of the totem pole in this world. And I think the best way to describe him, and obviously Rob being uh, the reader here, he'll get this, is that I'm probably uh, mispronouncing this though, but in Greek mythology, the, uh, the the story of Sisyphus, the idea of constantly rolling the boulder up the, up the hill, and the moment you're about to get it onto the peak, it rolls right back down. Yep, and I think yep. that's, that's, that's essentially what this is. That's Howard's story. Every single time he's on the verge of greatness, it gets taken away from him. We only see that a couple times in this where we see where he makes the first bet and gets pulled out despite the fact that he hit it big. And then he does it again. It really, he hits the, the jackpot. And then obviously it ends permanently for him at that point. The mm-hmm. stone crushes him. Um but no, I think that's what this movie's ultimately about. It's just about it's everybody has their own hustle going on. And even like the fact with Julia, like we I think the the very ambiguous ending to the film. So even though we see Howard is shot, it's the notion of the fallout to his decisions we never get to see. Is that like yeah. what's Julia what's Julia gonna do with the money? Like nobody knows she has it. That's that's hundred percent her money. She can disappear. Um Dina, the wife, the fact that the wife's at the house and the fact uh, because he said that like there's a gas leak because he was afraid what uh Arno might do to them. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It is a very ambiguous ending. And you just don't know. And I think that's uh, something that definitely adds to the overall thing of the film is that, like, it ends rather abruptly. Like, you know something bad's going to happen to Howard, like, the whole time. The moment, regardless, because I, I, another aspect of this, too, is that, like, I, like, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of sports lingo in this, and there's obviously a lot of betting lingo, but... I, as somebody who doesn't live in either one of those worlds, I, I, that never detracted from my experience of this. Mm-hmm. Um, while he has Arno and his goons locked in the, uh, I, there's a name for that sort of compartment where you you keep people oh, from going. The, like uh, the, Sal, it's called a Sally Port. Sally Port. Okay, thank you. When he has them locked in there, like you know something bad's gonna happen to Howard. Like you know, oh, yeah. like like it's not because he's gonna lose the bet. Like you, like the movie's conveying to you, regardless if you know what happened in that 2012 season with Kevin Garnett and the Celtics, you know, so you know he's gonna win that bet because we've been the movie's instructed us thus far that Howard knows what he's doing. Like if anybody else was put into his circumstance, where you had to basically keep spinning all these plates to stay afloat, we would all kind of collapse under the pressure. And we know that Howard's going to succeed in this from what we've seen earlier in the film. It's just, okay, what other thing that's going to happen to him is going to make this all fall down. And it really is the whole notion of, okay, like the moment it seems like everything is going right for him, he literally gets shot, I guess. Do we want to give that away? Yeah, I think so. Okay, a spoiler alert. Um, Howard gets shot in the head. And then after all that happens, Arno is freaking out being like, what have you done? What have you done? Yep. And and even that is a very ambiguous thing. Is Arno freaking out because that means the money's gone now? Like obviously Julia has no reason to return with a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars if 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 Howard's not around anymore. It's the notion yeah. that he got his brother-in-law killed. Like we also don't know. We know that Gooey is a very powerful person. We don't know what. And that's a thing. That then like Arno gets shot in the head. And it's like well, they're again. It's like okay. And it's just that thing of just like it, it's over. It's like it's kind of like this story we've been wrapped up in for the last two hours is just cut off abruptly, mm-hmm. and that's something that I like. I, I really appreciate in this every single time. It's just like kind of there's just that abrupt conclusion. Like we're so oh, used yeah. nowadays to have ambiguous endings in movies and television stuff, where it's like, oh, what could have happened? Like you have to think about. I know we've talked about Twin Peaks: The Return a lot in the last couple of weeks, but it's the thing of like we're so used to having those question marks, and it's rare to have a movie that just ends and it gives us a for the most part i guess i said there's some ambi- ambigu- ambiguity with the female characters but considering that howard's our protagonist and he's really the only character that matters his yep. story has a period yeah yeah and i i also like the fact that you know kind of our secondary character of kevin garnett it's like he he's at the beginning he sees the gem and he's like i gotta have this like this thing's my muse you know and then he gets it at the end and it's it's and he says in that in that um you know when the when they show the footage from the interview after the game he's like you know talking about the game and he was like it was always just me and the rock and of course you know in, in real life he was talking about basketball like the terminology rock for basketball but you know th- this movie just adds and his little story adds that little extra context to it and it's just that nice little touch where you know some people had unhappy endings, some people had happy endings, and and yeah, it is ambiguous in a certain sense, but our main characters kind of get that conclusion. Oh, it's great. You know, um, in the end, I felt like it was just me and the rock, um, nothing else. Yeah, and the fact that the uh, the opal was a blessing for Kevin Garnett, and, it was, and it's what doomed. Like, that's another thing, too, going back to the, uh, the, the I want to say legend, the myth of Sisyphus, think about it, it was a stone that crushed Howard. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think of it like if you really again that thing where uh, I know like in the behind the scenes stuff the Safdie brothers are always talking about how they they were kicking around this idea for like ten years. I'd love to know if that something like that story of Greek mythology played a role in it because it's true. Like, I never even thought about it until just now. The idea is that it's the stone that crushes him at yep. the end, not directly, of course, but it's the idea that like what this the, this stone comes into his life and it's nothing but a curse to him. But when it happens to Kevin Garnett. It blesses him in every way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it, it works on so many levels other than just, you know, the, the surface of this movie. And it's it's fantastic when we get something like that, especially, you know, in this day and age. I feel like those are few and far between, especially one that, you know, got some attention. I know, I think it, this Uncut Gems got, like, snubbed at awards, but, you know, screw the award shows. I, I know there were good people that knew about this and were talking about it, for sure. Well, this is a weird movie because, like, I it was on people's radars, and I know we talked about it. I think back in like January, that like they released this movie during Christmas time, mm-hmm. and a lot of people were going to see this, being like, "Oh, I'm going to go see an Adam Sandler movie." And I think <laughs> they, they they walk in there and they get this, and they're like, uh, "I can just just turned off." Sure. Um, sure. I, like, they, they go, I love that's my boy. I'm gonna check out Uncut Gems. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I just realized that's God. In the span of a couple months, we talked about two Adam Sandler movies. 2020 yep. is oh oh God, Rob. We've talked about more Adam Sandler movies than we have. Uh, oh, oh God, all the other things we should be talking about. <laughs> um, you know what? From from Adam Sandler, his usual comedic role, what he did in this one, uh, he, he hit us with a little reverse action. If you remember that from the That's My Boy discussion. <laughs> oh, God. I feel like it was an eternity ago now. Yeah, I hit um, a, little, a little reverse action. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Fuck. Let me fucking try a little reverse action. Um, But no, but like, again, that's the thing. I, again, looking at the box office for this, like it costs around $20 million to make. It made around 50 Okay. It's, I, I don't think it was a film ever designed to make a lot of money, but... It feels like a movie that did not get the attention it deserved. Like it's, oh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a top tier, uh, God, top tier film. It fires on all cylinders. There's really nothing bad about it, other than like objectively speaking, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, it's a matter of preference when it comes to uh, liking it. But no, I don't think this movie got the attention it deserved. It was kind of like, oh, Adam Sandler is just like, like doing. Like that's the thing too is that like I don't. Adam Sandler is performing. Okay, let me, let me try rephrasing this now for a third time. Is that like when he like a lot of people were mad that he got he got snubbed for an Oscar nomination, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of reasons why Adam Sandler was never going to get an Academy Award nomination, <laughs> um, despite the fact of how good he is in this. But he's essentially playing a very like he's not going too far out of his wheelhouse like he's playing a character making bad decisions and that's yep. pretty much every adam sandler <laughs> character for <laughs> the most part yeah it's just the tone of it is much different and that's not taking away from adam sandler he's doing a phenomenal job in this but i don't think he's going that far outside of just what's expected of him mm-hmm. um it's not a career redefining performance and plus two, when it comes to the Oscars, they want a level of consistency. If his neck, if he, if, if this was like the third or fourth role of his that was not like in that comedy, like Adam Sandler stick, then maybe this would have gotten him an Oscar nomination if he was trying oh, okay. to rehabilitate his image or trying to just uh, uh, 
what's the word, rebrand himself, then yeah. maybe. But it's kind of like I remember there was a movie that came out in September with Jennifer Lopez where she plays like a uh, oh god, was she a stripper or something? Everyone's like, I'm oh, shocked yeah, she it, didn't it's get something. Hustler or something like that, right? Yeah, and it's like, folks, like that's Jennifer Lopez within her wheelhouse. Like that's I don't care how good she is in it. It's her. It's a female empowerment story starring Jennifer Lopez. It's in her wheelhouse. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. that the tone is different. It's it's in the wheelhouse. She's not getting anything for it. Forget even the politics when it comes to award season. Um, and that was the reason why Uncut Gems was always kind of doomed. Um, I, I'm kind of disappointed they didn't get more technical awards nominations. It's a shame they got kind of snubbed across the entire board. Sure. Um, that's where I'm more disappointed because you know Adam Sandler is the face of this. I think there's a lot of things that help that helped make everything else work. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I would. I don't. I don't even. I don't even know if there's a. I don't think there's a category for, like, sound design and audio mixing. But that was one of my. Is still one of my favorite things about this movie, that you know every most of the scenes in Adam Sandler's shop are like, it's just packed with people and they're all talking over each other. But you can still understand like what the main conversation is, and it's almost like this beautiful cacophony of of just voices with that that very minimal kind of electronic sounding uh, score in the background. Oh, it's great. It's like about 35 carats in there. It's like a Blau. It's a white hole. Uh, and then right in the middle. You hear that shit? This is your piece, man. Yo, how? It's poppin', man. It's my nigga Cash I always tell you. Like, yeah, man, I get a cash out? How do you feel? Uh, no, it's good. No. They're calling me with the results. Hey, just some face on me. Hi. How are you? Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, so we man, and come spend some money with you. Yeah, so we get this best price. He's doing you a favor, believe me. Arnold's friends here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I see even behind the scenes feature, right? Or no, not behind the scenes feature, right? This was uh, on a podcast I was listening to. They talked about how they did a bunch of ADR after the fact of just they hired people mm-hmm. to just talk and they just threw that into the, the sound mixing just to kind of make everything sound more kinetic and more. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I love that stuff. And that, you know, when even the, the scene I think where it stands out the best is when um, he first gets the opal and he shows it to Kevin Garnett and you know, you have him, he, he goes through and it's kind of quiet where he just has that uh, history channel or discovery channel video on his phone, like ready to go to explain the backstory of the Opal. And then he gives it to Kevin Garnett and like everybody's talking about it. And then, you know, Kevin Garnett is looking at it and we get like the flashes of, you know, past young Kevin Garnett and pictures of his wedding and stuff like that. And then he crashes through the glass and then everybody starts like freaking out because he just crashed through the glass and, and you can still make out everything and, I know when I watched it for this recording, I was able to watch it with subtitles, and I didn't. I don't think I picked it up on the earlier ones, but it's like everybody's like, "Oh, KG, are you okay?" Like all these people are coming around, and they're like, "What's this? Like who's gonna clean this up?" And Adam Sandler like whispers, "Like I told you not to lean, man." Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I'm just like, yep. "That's awesome." I mean, this is old school Middle Earth shit. Got a motherfucking dinosaur, Jimmy. Yes, the dinosaurs, that's right. The dinosaurs fucking stared at this thing. It's 110 million years old. It's the least. Shit, man. Can't lean on the glass, case. Told you not to leave. Like, it's so fast-paced, but it conveys everything that it needs to. Perfectly. It's interesting you bring up the subtitles thing because I obviously the first two times couldn't watch it with subtitles. Yeah. And the third time I decided against it because I think the subtitles would would take away from that. 
Because I think that's the thing that's interesting too. You know, it's a movie there's a lot of audio just noise. Mm-hmm. Everything is expl- you. Everything that has to be conveyed through dialogue is conveyed quite clear. Oh, absolutely! Like, yeah. like it's not it's not muddled. Like we're going to talk about Rob's favorite movie of all time, like Interstellar and other Christopher Nolan <laughs> movies, where Christopher Nolan to this day makes a very decisive decision. <laughs> and I know that's redundant, but to have an audio mix where you can't hear dialogue most of the time. Yeah, and I yeah. know. And I know he's pretty much done that with every movie since The Dark Knight Rises, where he's like, "I'm just gonna sit there, screw up the audio mix. I don't care if no one can hear Tom Hardy. It's it's his physical <laughs> presence that matters." And I'm like, then why give him dialogue if we're not supposed to understand a thing he says? And oh, he does yeah. that. In, he does that in Interstellar. Like one of my well, one of my favorite scenes in Interstellar. Uh, favorite having like 25 quotation marks around it. Is there's a point <laughs> right at the very end of the film where uh, Jessica Chastain figures out like the. Uh, the, the the formula to like for oh, space yeah. travel and it's just her like talking and the music like the sound like the the soundtracks is blaring over her as she's trying to talk to Topher Grace. I'm like, why have dialogue? Like why <laughs> why have dialogue if we can't hear what the characters have to say to each other? Um, again, creative choice. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, I think as Rob has said, uh, I will go on to become Christopher Nolan. So it's up to me to figure out why I will eventually <laughs> do this. But uh, no, but like that's the thing that's interesting, though, is that like you have all this just like noise in there, intentional noise, mm-hmm. and yet you're never confused as to what's going on in the scene. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I loved when I saw it. You know, without the subtitles, because they they were able to convey it clearly, and and it works so perfectly. And I guess my decision for the subtitles this time was um, just to see if there was anything in there that you know I I was missing I had missed out on or anything like that. But you know of course they they streamline it. They only subtitle the stuff that you know is pertinent to the story. And uh, as always on the topic of subtitles, this movie is no exception. I still have never seen a movie that is perfect with their subtitles. Um, I'm sure you remember this discussion where they always leave stuff out or they always paraphrase. Mm-hmm. This one, this one did leave some stuff out, but this one also, like, got some stuff wrong. And that's always the yeah. evidence of where they do, like, they don't, like, have a person, or they might have a person transcribing it. But I know there's some programs to take, like, audio to text. And it seemed like they had one of those, because there were some scenes, like, like uh, with Eric Bogosian in the car, when they pick him up outside of this, this kid's school play where he keeps saying, he's like, Arno, he's like, Arno, can we just talk? Can you get your goons off me? Can we just talk? And Arno says something like, don't say my name. And the mm. subtitle says, I don't know you. And I'm like, well, that's clearly not the case. <laughs> they do know each other. <laughs> that's that's didn't say interesting. That. That's interesting. I wonder, I have no idea how the subtitle process is done mm-hmm. when it comes to home video and other things. But I wonder how much of that is like somebody is given a copy of like the screenplay and they have to like, oh, I, I, I mean, or maybe like this, like a shooting script. And that's a thing where maybe I, I don't know. Cause you imagine they have the final film, like when they're doing subtitles for the home video release or, or something like that. I wonder how mm-hmm. much of that, or again, maybe it's like you said, a computer program. I, again, nobody does anything anymore in real life, but I don't know. Like that's a, that's an interesting one. Yeah. The fact that it's off that much, that's a, that's fascinating. Yeah, there, yeah, there's um, there's a f- only a few instances where things have been like completely off. It's more of more of the the gripe that I have because it's so common is that they'll leave words out, and sure, the subtitles will still convey what's being said, but it's like, what the hell is the point of you know removing three words for one? Just if you're reading, you're reading, and but there, I uh, one of the the best things is that um, I have Fringe with subtitles, and uh, the TV show Fringe. 
good old J.J. Abrams. And um, there's one episode of Fringe where it's like the main detectives at her house or something like that. And she's living with her sister and the sister's daughter. And they're having like a family moment. And in the show, the, the girl, little girl is going to bed. And the, the sister, who's the mother, says something like, did you brush your teeth? And the girl goes, yes. And the girl, little girl runs away. And she says to the detective, like, if she's lying, will you arrest her? Like, as a joke, as a jokey moment. But the subtitle says, if she's lying, will you shoot her? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> and I'm, I, I saw this and I was like, whoa, that is, that is not the, the emotion that this scene is giving off. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow, yeah. That's, a, that's a left turn. Oh, oh yeah, that, that, that whole show is a, a left turn. <laughs> but so, yeah, I did. I did watch it with the subtitles and I didn't catch anything new, I guess, other than now I know how to spell Damani's name. If the, I mean, assuming the subtitles are correct. <laughs> but yeah, oh, with Damani. the audio mixing, I think that that's the point we, we were making was that, you know, you can get everything that you need, even though it's so chaotic as you're hearing it. And I think that's what I was saying adds to the anxiety level in a lot of these scenes like. I probably my favorite scene in the movie is when the the inner door to the Sally Port gets stuck and they're like everybody's screaming at the same time and Damani's like knocking on the door and Adam Sandler's like stop knocking it won't help. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a couple of those like where it's 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 How's the man? I am. I am. Where's the fucking door? Go, go to the other buzzer, please. Hurry up. Hurry up. Right there. Go ahead. Hang on. Sorry. We don't got time for this shit. You got the gym. You got the gym. Okay. All right. Good. There it is. All right. We can't leave. We're going downstairs, nigga. Get a fucking hat. Move your arm in. All right. He needs a hammer. Let me get a hammer. Yeah. I, I'll show you it's going to be a set. Oh, this will work. This will work. Give me this. Give me this. And get ready to buzz. I'll tell you. Oh, my God. Sorry, buzz, buzz. Are you fucking kidding me? Buzz. Buzz. You can hit it from the side, please. Get ready to fuck. I'm trying to get Tell him goodbye. Goodbye to fucking flaws. Roman. Roman, come out here. Oh, shit. All right, listen, we're having a fucking connection issue. Just just get me some fucking metal shavings and the cool fucking kid, all right? God damn I'm going to get this. This will, this will, I promise you this will work. Hurry the fuck up, Rome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here to buy the yoke. I know. I know it is. What the fuck is going on? Listen to me. I got 175000 to spend. I told you this thing's worth over a million dollars. Come on, man. What the I, fuck are you doing? I that saw. Court size seats. I live in New York. Oh, I don't want nigga. Open it up. Nigga. Listen, listen to him. I, I want to give it to you for free. I'm that kind of guy. Just, I'm tied into an auction. What you right talk? What auction? The, the auction. Yeah. Listen, make a bid. Make a bid at when the auction. When is it? When? It's Monday. Monday. Nah, Tell him to come let, to. Let him rent it then for a couple of days. I can't. Until Monday, you get I it back. I want to give it to you. Kevin, I hate letting you down like this. I know everything. I said yes to something. I want to, Kevin. I fucking love you. I feel like an asshole. Believe me. You are. Come down. Let me fucking do this. Jesus. I got this. God fucking damn it. I got to do everything. Please stop knocking. It's not going to help. Go. Go. Oh. Oh. 
Adam Sandler, again, you wonder how much of this also was um, ad-libbed versus, like, scripted? Oh, sure. Because there's some really, there's a couple of good one-liners in this. Like, even, like, my favorite is, is that, like, when he's going, he finally has the opal back, and he's heading to the auction with it. And Julia shows up with, like, the smoothie, and he just sees her, and he's, she's like, Howard. And he's like, no. And he just, like, starts hitting the, like, elevator down button. <laughs> <laughs> and there's yeah. and, and there's small moments like that where I have to wonder just how much of it was just improvised. That that's a good a good point. And you know the editing in that scene I love so much because the way it cuts to the close up of the elevator button, and then she's there and she's like, Howard, I was in such a big rush to come over to you, and it cuts to just the shot of the half drank smoothie in her hand. Cuts back to Adam Sandler and he goes, Yeah, you're in a big rush that so you're able to get a smoothie. Howard, <laughs> Howard, I'm no. Howard, Howard, stop. You're being fucking crazy again. Stop. Listen, I Howard. got no time to talk. I have to be to Adley's in 15 minutes before All right, they I'll close. go with you. I'll then go I got to get to my father-in-law. Howard, it's please. Enough. I'm really sick. I don't feel well. I got out I of bed. I see you in a big to rush to come over here, I huh? Really you got yourself a fucking smoothie? I was in a big rush. I want you out. You motherfucker! Exactly. And that's the thing I want, because I know, like, in, in the behind the scenes thing, they're talking about how, like, they didn't have a monitor and they wouldn't do, like, playbacks. Yeah. So I just wonder how much of this was just kind of like, okay, we're going to do the scene a little bit differently. As long as you, like, convey what the point of the scene is, let's just do it. And that's why I wonder, like, where there, there are sometimes in this, I can't think of any specific examples, but I did pick up on it, where not that things seem disjointed, but it seemed like two different takes like when it, when it comes to like the order of scenes like oh like as if something was missing there or just like, like a little bit like a couple of shots don't line up perfectly mm. and obviously that's not to show any sort of lack of professionalism or anything like that it's it feels more like okay like we had this really good take even though it doesn't fit perfectly into the film like on a uh, like a continuity level like characters will be in one specific space and they'll be like a little bit like they, they'll have moved you know it doesn't make sense they wouldn't have had time to move that far and that's another element i just wonder is how much of it was that going on where it's like this kind of like it also makes the film feel a little bit more surreal like there, there is also a level of it's it's a very it's a grounded film but there's almost like a I don't want to say weightlessness to it. I mean, but like you know what I mean, like a very light surrealism to this to this world. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel a hundred percent like reality. Oh yeah, I definitely get what you're saying, especially with the with the shots and stuff. There, there's some things I think. In, the one thing I noticed was in terms of story, or in terms of the, how the story plays out, that there's some like brief time lapses that we're not really made aware of, but the movie's so fast that you just keep going, like. Like, the one that stood out to me on this recording was um, he's in the office at the end when he sells the Opal to Kevin Garnett, and he does that whole, um, you know, he's like, he's like, I believe in you, KG, and you should believe in yourself. And he's like, I'm going to bet it all. I'm going to bet all the money. And he gets the girlfriend to go over to the other shop and put her head out the window. And when Adam Sandler, like, puts his head out the window, there's a cut to Kevin Garnett where he's just like, he does like a smirk and he's like, man, this crazy Jewish dude is basically what he's thinking. Yeah. And then when Adam Sandler comes back in, mm -hmm. then Kevin Garnett's not there and Eric Bogosian and his goons come in. And so clearly there was the time lapse where um, Adam Sandler had to get the the blade, the helicopter ride for the girlfriend and Kevin Garnett left. But it, it you're right. It doesn't feel like reality because as soon as Kevin Garnett left, why wouldn't Eric Bogosian be in there immediately? Like, like, why would there be any kind of like break between that? But it doesn't matter in terms of the story. It just keeps moving, you know? Yeah. 
And that's a perfect example. That's that's why I meant. That's why I was trying to highlight, but I couldn't think of it off the top of my head. Right on. Thank you. The other the other thing, I don't know if you noticed. It, I don't know if this falls into the same category, but maybe a tangential category. I cannot get a handle on the layout of his office. Oh? Because, you know, in, in some of the first scenes, it really kind of feels to me that, you know, there's the main shop, and then there's a door, and when he goes into that back room... His like if you if you walk through the door, his desk is on the left with the safe and the fish tank, and then on the right side of that door is the 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 jeweler, the actual cutter. Uh, I forget his name in the movie, but the guy with the like the glasses and the headlamp sure. that just sits back there. But then in the and and it they show in the scene where um, Damani does the worst thing in the movie and kills the fish. Like that's fucked up, Damani. When in that scene, it shows him pouring like the Powerade into the fish tank. And it seems, and like the the cutter, the jeweler comes out from like this this room, but it's got like all glass windows, so you can see through it. And he comes through, and he's like, "What are you doing? That's gonna kill the fish." And so that always gave me the sense that his office was kind of open, and it had this other stuff for the jeweler on the right hand side of that door. But then in the scene with Eric Bogosian at the end and Kevin Garnett, his office is in its own room. Like there's a, there's a there's a solid wall and a wooden door that Eric Bogosian has to come through. And so I'm like, wait, did, like, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? And I didn't go back and actually look at those things, but I, I kept feeling like we were getting weird layouts of his office that weren't consistent. Even when he he uh, he gets not when he gets beat up when he um I don't know. There's some scene where he has to go back to his office, and it's something like I think that there's a couch in there that we've never seen before. That he like he like pulls out clothes or something and throws it on and I'm just like I don't know that that got me the whole movie especially on this third viewing I was like what I was like wait a minute what am I missing like I don't get the spatial relationships of this office at all actually I, I that's one thing I didn't have a problem with I think they do a pretty good job of laying out the geography of his office because okay, I know because okay. I I know he has the door and we know he has the couch because he ends up sleeping on it one night. Yeah, and, that's probably the scene I'm thinking of. Yeah, no, I uh, no, I agree with you when it comes to the scene where Kevin Garnett, when he hands the money outside the uh, the window, I get that. But like, and, and we, Kevin Garnett, we don't see Kevin Garnett leaves, and then Arno just yeah. walks right in immediately. I get that. But no, when it comes to geography, I, I get what you mean. Like, you see the, you know where he keeps his, like, safe slash filing cabinet, where he keeps, like, all the, the watches and stuff that... Uh, uh, Damani gives him, and you yeah, have the, the, the fake jewel, Rolexes, yeah, the fake Rolexes, and the jewel cutter on the side. Uh, no, I, I always, I never mm, okay. that. Okay, I guess I gotta. When I watch it again, I'll see, because I, I don't think I had an issue with that anywhere else. Like I, I thought his. Well, we don't see enough of his apartment to really, you know, get that idea. But you know, the same thing with like the the main shop. I think that's always fine, and and all the other stuff. Um, I guess well, I did. I, I was kind of confused the first time I saw it. I was kind of maybe not confused, but I was I wasn't expecting that when he gets picked up by Eric Bogosian outside of the school play, that they're like constantly driving that whole time, and then they just drove in a circle to get back to his car in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that makes sense. I just it just kind of threw me for a loop when I when I saw it the first time. I was like, oh wait, they're just gonna drop him off again. I'm like, okay, yeah, that, I guess that makes sense if they're just putting muscle on him. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that that seems interesting. But one thing I want to go back to, like you mentioned, his apartment where where Julia sure. lives. Uh, I'm not. I didn't pick up on this until this viewing. Is that like there's a lot of like explicitly sexual imagery in that apartment? Oh, the yeah. There's a painting right by the door. I think 
where yeah. it's two naked women and one of them is like putting like their hands are folded over their their genitals and the other woman is just like her like just bearing it all like her arms are up in the air and that i definitely noticed that on this viewing and i was like ah and then there's like i think there's one above the bed in the bedroom where there's like Ooh, a woman okay. like bending over and it's like and obviously she's like scantily clad or not wearing any clothing and it's like and that's the thing too about this movie is that like Yes, you have really only one sexually provocative scene, mm-hmm. and that's where he sneaks, like, he goes to her apartment, like, hides in the closet, and, like, he's asking her what she's wearing, and she, like, takes her clothes off, like, revealing the lingerie, and she's like, starts, like, touching herself. Yep. But, like, it's also not a very sexual film. Like, that's another thing that's interesting, too. Like, you think, okay, this guy's a jeweler, he's trying, like, and, like, don't get me wrong, sex is very much there, but it's almost like, an underlying thing. It's not something that's ever brought up on the surface. Like obviously throughout a lot of the film, he's very, very, what's the word? He, he, he's always afraid of other people looking at Julia. Like we see him with Kevin Garnett, like when Kevin Garnett first shows up oh, and yeah. she's like, Oh, like you don't have a girlfriend. He's like, what do you mean? I don't have a girlfriend. And, she, and like, he, you can tell, like he looks at her when she's like, when he goes over to her and then obviously you have the whole thing that happens with the weekend. You have the whole thing with all these gorgeous women coming out of the apartment and yeah. yeah. And the fact that like, she's going out partying at night without him and things like that. And it's like, Oh, but then like she gets the tattooed at the, toward the end. Like, it's like, Oh, I got a tattoo. And it has one of my favorite lines of all time in this movie. <laughs> it's like now it's now you can't even be buried with me, which I, which I love is some fantastic class A Jewish humor. Um, oh, that yeah. is. and while he's like sobbing and he's like, I'm no good for myself. I, I can't even go any place to get better. And he's like, all crying and bloody. And he's just, we'll get the clip in, but the way he says it is it's great humor. And the way he delivers it, where he's like, Oh, I don't deserve that. And she's like, yes, you do. No, I don't. Now you can't even get buried with me. <laughs> I don't know. I got it. I thought I thought it would make you feel better. Look, unzip my skirt. Not like that. Just unzip my skirt. <laughs> it says Howie. What did you do? Why would you... T- you don't like it? I, no, I do. I'm not worth it. Yes, I'm not worth it. I don't look. I'm so crazy about you. Yes, you do. I love no, you. No, no, yeah. you're gonna. You can't even get buried with me no, now. It's okay. <laughs> it's great. It's a guy is like, folks. If you have any Jewish friends and they ever get a tattoo, you have to tell them that. Now you can't be buried <laughs> in the Jewish cemetery. That's knee-jerk reaction response. You gotta learn to have. Um. That that yeah. one that line is definitely hilarious. I also love the it's not even it's not even really a comedic line where that one I think is, you know, supposed to be played that way. It's the it's the the quick speed and the way it's delivered is that when Howard gets back into the club and he finds out that he's like the dude's like, "Yo man, I want to get into business, but I saw Julia go into the bathroom with the weekend." And he starts freaking out and pounding on the bathroom door. And when the weekend opens the door, it's the cut of like the weekend at the door and Julie in the background, and Julie immediately goes, Howard, we were just doing coke! One second of oh, oh, Jesus! Howard, we were just doing coke. Fuck you. Nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> like, it comes out so fast that she knows exactly what to say. Oh, it's great. <laughs> well, that's the thing, too, is, like, I think she's one of the more interesting characters in this, even though, like, 
for the most part, she's one like maybe outside of Howard, she's one of the most belittled characters in the film mm, because yeah. she because she genuinely cares about him. Because even when the weekend's trying to put the moves on her, and yes, in 2012, the weekend really wasn't a known commodity yet, but she's very much like like no. Like she is, yeah. she's telling who knows how much further she could have resisted, but she's very much like telling him no. And when her, like, I know you said you weren't particularly fond of her freak out, um, but like she keeps trying to tell Howard, he keeps being like, like, go, go fuck the weekend. And she's <laughs> like, we weren't doing anything. And then even when like we, it's one of the few times like we don't even see Howard's perspective. Like usually like in any other movie, he'd be driving away from the cab and we'd be having that scene kind of like what you expect where he'd be like, I don't know, deleting his, her name out of the phone or something. Instead we get from her perspective and we see her like walking in front of the club in front of like all these kind of like catty women making snide, snide remarks about her. Mm. And that's the thing where like, that is a, a, we are seeing a humiliated part of Julia at that point. Yeah, like she's yeah, all and, she's all alone, just got thrown out of a club, and now has to walk past all these people about about to go into the club that watched her get thrown out. And I think I think yeah, Julia's one of the more. I think she's probably the only genuinely nice character in the entire film. Yep, yep, and yeah, that was that's was the scene I mentioned earlier where it's like maybe you could trim that down a little bit, but only by seconds. But once again, it makes sense in in terms of the movie because she is his you know, partner in crime, for lack of a better term. She is kind of that that supporting character in the sense of she is going to, you know, benefit what we think and how we feel about Howard in the, the context of the movie. So it makes sense. Sure. But that's the thing, though, is that, like, you wonder, and this is another part of, like, kind of, like, subtle ambiguity of the film, is that, like, you, we haven't talked that much about Adele Dazeem, but when you have Dina and... We don't know what the relationship with Dina was. And mm-hmm. you look at Julia, mm-hmm. and like Julia is somebody who obviously she's a pretty woman. She's attractive. Um, she wore, I, we also don't know how much they're, they're making there. We don't know how much Adam Sandler's paying them or if it's commission based. Yep. But it's the idea of like she sees him come in, like bloodied, and like obviously he got beat up. And he hands her all this money, and she, without, a, like, without even a hesitation, is like, okay, I'm going to do this for him. Yeah, yeah, it's actual loyalty. Yeah, yeah, where we don't like you know, obviously we don't know what his relationship with Dina was, but you look at Adam Sandler's domestic situation, and you kind of can't like blame the guy for not wanting any parts of that. Sure, and and we again we were never told who who like did Dina break off the marriage first or ask yep, for the separation exactly. then then did he start he find Julia or was it the other way around? Like based mm-hmm. on like in the like coward, I don't think Howard's a malevolent person. And I think that's where I don't blame him for making the decisions he does. I think he's a guy that's just perpetually over his head and he's just trying to do everything he can to k- take a couple more gasps of, za- gasps of sure. air. And that's where I don't, I don't blame him for any of his decisions because you watched the like, and we don't know if, again, he probably got himself into this circumstance. Um, he probably bit off more than he could chew. But mm-hmm. I think in, in that circumstance, none of us could, be, could do what he's doing, never mind keep it going as long as he's had. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, I do think, you know, we do get, like we were saying before, the implicit uh, nature of a lot of this storytelling is – you know, it makes me think of, you know, we don't know how we got into this, you know, all these holes, you know, like we talked about with the Eric Bogosian and, you know, the hundred grand. But even in that, the first scene, I think of just two, where we get his bookie at the restaurant played by Mike Francesca, which I was like amazed to see. Um, 
because my dad would listen to Mike Francesca like all the time back in the day. And so as soon as like he goes into that restaurant and he's want he wants to make the bet, like the camera is just like the zoom in shot of Mike Francesca sitting there and he's like, no, 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 not you again. Get out of my store. And he's like, no, I got another bet. And then he's like ready to take it. So you know that Howard's been doing this for so long and causing so many problems with all these people around him getting into holes and whatnot. And it's just, it's that great, you know, they give us everything that we need to know about this dude in that first, you know, super breakneck speed intro. I would say the setup for this movie is crazy fast. Jim jumping around and, you know, selling pieces, placing bets, that type of stuff. And it, it's all perfectly crafted where that it never slows down and we get that stuff where it's like, oh, I'm not going to I'm not going to take your bet ever since that time. You know, you screwed me on the so and so deal or something like that. It's because that none of that shit matters and they know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a movie that knows what it's getting at. It's there to tell a story. It's not trying to do anything but that. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I, uh, I think um, in terms of uh, going back to Julia again. I really like that, you know, like we said, the supporting aspect that she has for Adam Sandler. But it's also kind of the fact that, you know, like what you were saying with her scene with The weekend and with Kevin Garnett, you know, even though Adam Sandler is maybe a little protective or, you know, has an issue with that, an insecurity with that maybe, they really make it clear that Julia knows how to handle herself. Like, like she knows what to do with The weekend, And like we said, you know, that scene gets cut short, so we don't know where it goes. But then at the end, when she's at Mohegan's Sun waiting for the game to end to, you know, see if the bet pays off, and she sees the uh, Arno's goons shows show up, she's like, okay, I'm going to go to this millionaire dude that I've met on the helicopter because he's going to be like a protection for me. And, and she's, she's smart about what she's doing as well. And I really like that in terms of, you know, it's – I wouldn't say it's full-on female empowerment, but it's a competent female character – which all our characters should be competent, unless that's the point. And it's great that she's on Howard's side. Yeah, and that's the thing that, like, she. And I think that's the key point is that she's doing things for him that I that we as of now we know Dina certainly wouldn't have do wouldn't have done. Oh, yeah. I think that's the thing is that Julia is very much a hustler in the same vein as Howard, yeah. but obviously that's a good way to put it. She, but she, but not in the same sense that like where she keeps stepping in it. I think she would. He probably could learn a lot more from her in that sense, being like, okay, this is how you do things. This is how you use people in a way that they don't dislike you afterwards. Like there's mm. a way of using people without digging yourself further into a hole. Yes, yes. Oh yeah, I love I love that. Like at the very end with uh, Julia, where she's in the car. And uh, Wayne, I think his name is, the guy that she was, like, hanging out with, he carries the money out to the car, and she takes it, and he's like, oh, he's like, I'm glad you won, baby, you know, but you're so hot, like, I wanted to have you, I want to bring you down to the Avalon, and we'll get drink." and she goes, no, thanks, I gotta go, and close the door, and she says to the driver, okay, we can go now, and it's just yeah. like, she knows what she's doing, and it's awesome to see. Oh my God, you oh, baby. Thank you so much. My pleasure. A lot of money, y'all. Hey, listen, I want you to come to the Avalon. Have one drink. I gotta go. I gotta go. Yeah. No, that and again, that, that's the thing. Like she's she's a cool character, and it would be fascinating to see what her and Howard would have done with the money. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you think that's the um the sequel, Cut Gems? 
or cut stones. I don't know what the sequel name would even be, but it would be Julia getting. Oh yeah, Julia becomes a vigilante and gets a uh, superhero oh, revenge oh, on. No, uh, no, no. When no uh, that's when Disney buys this movie. <laughs> oh no! Please no! Oh jeez. Um, but no, but that's something too. I just wonder is that like like would ha- un- uncut gems too. Opal Boogaloo. Opal Boogaloo. What do you think? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I just wonder, though, what, like, would Howard have, would have abused, uh, would Howard have abused her the same way? Like, kind of like what he did with her mm-hmm. in the smoothie. Like, that's, that's the thing. That is a good is, question. I don't think I thought about it that way. I, I was thinking more of if Howard lived, the sequel would start with the, like, the what whatever, like the one million 116,000 that he wins from the bet or something like that, would he go, okay, I'm going to bet this whole million on another Kevin Garnett game? And I never really thought about how their relationship would play out because it seems so picturesque and fairy tale at the end because you know he gets shot as soon as he hangs up the phone with her when I think it's like the first time in the movie where he says, like, I love you to her, even though she's been saying it a bunch. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. Would it, would his his hustle eventually like bleed into a damage to that relationship? I don't know. Probably. I again, I think there's there's a difference between like somebody who's a user and then being malevolent. Just because he's not malevolent Definitely. doesn't mean he wouldn't he wouldn't use her. And I think that's probably what would happen. Yeah. And, the whole, and then I guess and the, that's, the question would then become: Would Julia put up with it? Probably not, because she'd have a taste of her own thing. But it's still, but like you said, there's, there's almost like a whimsy to all this. Where it's like, okay, like this this great thing happened and now it's gone. Mm. It's again, he 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 hit it big and it's done. And that's the thing where like Howard dies. I think about it, he's also shot in the cheek. she's shot in the head, and so he doesn't suffer. Like he died. Yeah. Like, you think about his last waking moments. He done it. He he had done it. He he went out on top. He yep. accomplished his dream. He he made all the money in the world, and that was it. He didn't know what hit him. Literally. Yeah, yeah, that that's uh, I think like you said that abrupt ending when you said that earlier. That's a great way a great way to describe it because it is that, but it's also a great kind of cap to that story for sure. Well, I have to ask though, Rob. So, is the in the eyes of Howard, is his story a a happy one? I I think he, he, I think because he's not malevolent that when he sees his winning as you know, even before he knows he wins, when he has the guys trapped in the in the Sally port and he's making them watch the game and he's getting all into it, you know, like some things go his way, some things don't go his way in the game. And I think it's in the first half. And he's like jumping up and down. He's like, this is the beauty of betting. And it's like, sure, he might he is a gambling addict and that's the rush he's chasing. And I think, you know, to to, you know, quit while he's ahead or be forced to quit by the gunshot. That is a in some sense, a happy story. Not that there were blunders along the way but at the time of his death he's a millionaire because he won it he has you know someone who's loyal to him with him and in that kind of snapshot of a moment i have to imagine that that's exactly what he's looking for yeah i think that's a fascinating thing to have a movie that ends with the protagonist being shot in the face and it could be (laughs) construed (laughs) as a happy ending yeah yeah how how many movies can end with the protagonist being shot in the face Immediately after they've accomplished their goal, be considered a happy ending. True, true. Because uh, the other shoot in the face one I always think of is uh, Night of the Living Dead, but that ending it sure ain't happy. I, 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 no, <laughs> they still got happy. they still got zombies to kill. 
But no, even the fact too that after all, I think about after Am, like for the most part, Arno is the antagonist of the film because he's the one that's leading these goons after yep. him, and even he gets his comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Like even though yeah, you can tell he, I, I'm also I'm every movie I'm thinking of to that end is when like you know characters getting shot or dying at the end of the movie. Every other ones I'm thinking of that are happy endings are happy because the point of the movie was that they were able to pass something on to someone else. Like, their death is meaningful. Like, you know, I'm thinking of, like, V for Vendetta. Like, V dies at the end, but he does it to blow up the parliament building or whatever he blows up at the end. But Natalie Portman lives on and gets to, like, continue that dream type of thing. And I feel like that's this movie. Kind of we have that with Julia. But Julia, it's not some big martyr-type sacrifice that I think we see in a lot of movies where, you know, um, oh, even Endgame, you know? It's a happy oh, ending because they win, but Tony Stark had to non, die. Non-flashback, <laughs> non-flashback. No, Rob, that is not a happy ending. That is Tony the Stark had to die, in air quotes, <laughs> because he's going to be back in a year. <laughs> oh, God, no. Oh, God, Rob. Don't, don't say the, the A word. Um, <laughs> no, don't, no, we're over that. Thank God. You know, we don't, you know what the best part was, folks? Like, I guess tip of the hand like, by the time this episode comes out. Like, we were going to do for this week, we were going to do, like, a whole thing with, the like, when the Black Widow movie was supposed to be coming out. We were yep. going to talk about another movie that was going to be, like, a female spy caper. And we were going to talk about that, but just plug in the Black Widow movie character names. And thank God that we don't have to do that now. <laughs> yeah, we had a, we had this idea for a whole bit that was going to be a lot of work to in, in doing it and in editing to make, because, we of course, we were going to fuck up, I'm sure. But thankfully... We don't even have to discuss that movie <laughs> or think no. about it. <laughs> no, thank God. That that's the only blessing to the coronavirus. No more Marvel films. <laughs> um, Is that getting dropped on Disney Plus or are they just shelving nah, it? No, nah, no, nah, they're shelving it until November. Okay. Um, okay. no, there's too there's too much money there. They they can't risk the mm-hmm. they can't risk that. They can, they can dump Artemis Fowl and uh, uh, other crap on Disney Plus. They can't take their two hundred oh, million dollar yeah, Marvel uh, film. That onward movie I was seeing stuff about. I think that's on Disney Plus. Well, that that, that came out right before all this happened. That oh, it, out, oh, okay. I, that that came out in theaters like the very very beginning of March, and kind of was the the one of the last major films that got released. Um, oh yeah, that and uh, what Invisible Man did a little bit in the theater, right? Well, that was February, so that was that oh was, that okay, that, okay. Ma- that made most of its money. No, onward was really the last big movie that came out that like okay. that, that that you could tell that took a major hit. Um, amongst many other things, uh, yeah. but no, but, but like no, go, going to this, uh, this a couple scenes in this movie that are noteworthy to me. Um, probably the best scene in the entire movie, in my opinion. And this was my opinion watching it the first time, and even the last time viewing it. And I know on the behind the scenes feature, they even mention it. I thought I felt very validated when they say this. I think it's one of the Safdie brothers. They're like, oh, the best scene in the entire movie. Is when Adam Sandler talks to Adele Dazeem when she's wearing her um, bat mitzvah oh the bat mitzvah dress yeah and, and and that is the probably objectively speaking the best scene in the movie because like like he's trying to have Howard a heart to heart with her not again his intentions or why he's doing it can be discussed because clearly at that point he thinks the Julia thing is over but like mm-hmm. he goes to her and he's doing that Adam again this is where the brilliance of casting Adam Sandler is, is very present because he's trying he's having that like heart to heart moment of her where he's trying to reconcile again let's ignore intent for a moment and sure. she just like there's a vicious dismissal of him there's like oh, yeah. a, a vicious dismissive humiliation of him and she has this look in her eye Adele Dazeem and it's just like cutting 
Like, there's no doubting the emotions. Like, yeah, I know uh, Adele Dazeem's been around forever. She's more than just, like, Broadway person or uh, the voice of uh, a multi-million dollar character or multi-billion dollar character for the Mickey Mouse Corporation. But, like, she just has this, like, just look in her eyes where it's just, like, this pure and utter disgust and disdain. And it is, it is, like, it is the best performance I would say of the film, like it's one of those things where, like, like again, I know obviously the awards season stuff is so just a mess now that you can't. You, in any, like, in, if we had an objective world, something like that be worth an award nomination because it's just like it's just visceral acting. Wanted to talk to you for a minute and just sit down, and we don't have to do it here. We'll uh, we'll wait, but I uh, I uh, I'm having very serious second thoughts. And uh, we're all together right now. We're all so comfortable. It's I. Is it too late? Should we maybe? What do you think? Am I crazy? Are you serious right now? Yeah, I know. I know. I fucked up. I know. Yeah, you fucked up. You are a fuck up. And I'm not having this conversation. Please stop. Just stop for one second and just look at me. Look in my eyes, and they'll tell you what I'm feeling. Please, please. <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> what? Tell me, tell me. Oh my God. I know. What? Your face is so stupid. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to leave her. I'll leave her. I don't need her. We're done. We're done. Okay. It's done. Uh, I was stupid. She's okay. trash. She's trash. I, f- I know that. I was stupid. I'm done. I'm done. It means nothing. It meant nothing. Please. I'm begging you. Just, just give me another shot. You know what, Howard? Say yes. What? I think you are the most annoying person I have ever met. I hate being with you. I hate looking at you. And if I had my way, I would never see you again. It's because you're mad. You're mad, and it makes sense. You can punch me if you want. Oh, thanks. Hey, I was, I was ready for you. I don't even want to touch you. And it is, it's, it's like, you get it. Like, you get where, at that point, he's essentially, and that's, a, that's pretty much her last major scene. I know we have the final yep. scene of her being like, I'm going to call the cops about the, um, the possible gas leak in the house. But that's really her last major scene. And the final moment we get her interacting with Howard is that like, they all come back to the house and she's like, go get the garbage cans. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. That, that scene with them, her and the bat mitzvah dresses, you know, it's so perfectly performed because she has that look and you totally get it. And then she just laughs in his face. And I think the first thing she says is Howard, you are probably the most annoying person in the world. And that's the thing, too, is that, like, she could sit there, like, again, that's the very clever part of the dialogue, too, is that, like, in any other movie, she could be, like, get, like, especially, like, everybody here kind of has their, their, oh, God, New York boroughs, like, trash accents. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and she could very easily just, like, curse him out being, like, fuck you, like, who, like, she could do one, like, they could, like, in any other movie, that's what it would have been. 
Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, I, what I think of is like not to belittle this movie, but I think of like the Wolf of Wall Street with Margot Robbie doing the very similar accent, and it'd be like one of those where it's just like like a woman just doing the accent, and it's just a string of swear words. Where it's like, okay, we yeah. get it, like fine, but like she doesn't use that. She's like, like you said, she's like, you might be the most annoying person in the world, and like, and she's like, you can hit me, and she's like, oh, I can hit you, and she goes to hit him, and he obviously like, like a coward, he flinches. And she's mm-hmm. like, I don't even want to touch you. And yeah, she has that, that like, deranged great look. Line. And that's where it's like, she doesn't even forget like touching him in any other way. She doesn't even want to t- touch him in anger. And it's like, that's so biting. Like, that's just, it's raw. And yep. it conveys everything. Like, it's like, and then like, even the fact that like, they all come home from like a, like a, a family uh, holiday event and the Passover dinner. And that's just the like dismissal. Go get the garbage cans. As they all, nobody goes to help him. None of the kids go to help him or go help mm-hmm. your dad do this. Just like he's told to go pick up the garbage. And yep. it's like, it's perfect. It's like, like at that point, like I would imagine that he's realized this part of his life is over. Like there's like, this is yeah. over. And that's why the Julia thing probably seems all the more exciting is the fact that like, it seems like a new horizon beyond yeah. just money. Yep. Exactly. It really is that. Yeah, that, that's that is a great scene for sure. I dig it. Um, you know, one scene we didn't really talk about. Like, what do you think about the opening to the film? Oh, that. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. Um, because because the opening the the opening. So you're talking about the um the miners in Ethiopia, right? The mi- the mining accident. Yeah. Yeah. So that I was very confused when I saw this in theaters for the first time because it starts with the mining stuff and we don't even start with the them uncovering the gem. We start with the miner whose legs are damaged or injured and, mm-hmm. and nobody really can do anything about it. And I'm like, I'm like, wait, you know, cause from the, from the one trailer that I saw and then what the little we talked about it, I was like, what is this? Wait, is this movie going to be about like, like a blood diamond type of thing, like like Adam Sandler's like hurting the Ethiopian miners because he wants them to get these big gems. And I, I was thrown off by it. On the subsequent viewings, I kind of like it as a nice little prologue of the the birth of this stone. You know, like we talked about earlier, it's it's the it's the stone that crushes Adam Sandler and is ultimately his downfall, but the blessing to Kevin Garnett. And it's kind of like that. The stone in and of itself is this. MacGuffin, but maybe, you know, a kind of character because we get this little prologue where it's fleshed out and, and you know, where it came from. Because we could have done without that, uh, right? We get him, Adam Sandler, showing the video and explaining it to Kevin Garnett about, you know, you ever hear of African Jews? <laughs> That's the only time anybody's ever seen an African Jew laugh, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> what the fuck did I do to you to make you hate me so much? I, I am fucking well, maybe you don't remember, but you were basically the worst parent ever. Me? I did everything for you, buddy, and I never gave you an ounce of shit about nothing. You never gave me nothing. I gave you a snake. Yeah, and then it died after it ate all your quaaludes. That was the only time anybody's ever seen a King Cobra laugh. And I take pride in that. So fuck you. But but I, I, think, I think that I don't know why they included both. I think they could have gone with one or the other. Because even if you don't have Adam Sandler explaining the the how he got this stone to Kevin Garnett, if he just got it in the package and he was like, you know, he was like, I've checked this out. I, I ordered this. It took me like 17 months to get it. And then that would kind of say, oh, that's what that thing in the beginning was. Like, that was the origin of it. So I think they could have used one or the other. 
I'm not really sure why they chose both because it does seem a little redundant to me. Uh, yeah, I know what you're getting at with that. Um, I think you have to keep the the prologue. I think you have to. And, and mm-hmm. to go off a point you were saying when I was watching this for the first time, and obviously, um, as we'll discuss next week when it comes to uh, uh, Thriller and Ad Astra, I thought a very similar thing happened when I first started watching this. I'm like, oh, no, I got the wrong movie. I'm like, oh, not <laughs> yeah. again. Until I think I fast-forward through it, and I eventually saw Adam Sandler, and I'm like, oh, okay, so it is the right movie. Yeah. Um, um, I do agree with you. The thing where he shows Kevin Garnett the the video on his phone, I that feels like somebody during editing thought that maybe it wasn't clear what this thing was. Maybe they showed it to some friends. Obviously, there was no uh, focus group testing market research mm-hmm. for a movie like this. Um, but they probably show it to friends and family, and maybe somebody said like, "Oh, we really don't know what this is." Um, it's one you show somebody a diamond, they know what it is. You show them a, a an opal yeah. that has stones still on it. It's that's obviously not entirely chipped away. Sure. Um, I think that might come across confusing to some people. So maybe somebody told them like you have to explain what this thing is a little oh, bit more. I can see that. And that's and guess what? Because it's a very easy thing to show. You just basically you just film somebody with a phone in their hands and you ADR some dialogue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it seems like an easy way to convey something that might not be cle- super as clear as they wanted it to be or hoped it would be initially. Definitely. I also I also have to mention because we're right around that point when he, when he gets the stone, he doesn't just get the opal in the mail. He gets oh, it boy. inside of a fish. Uh-huh. <laughs> like and and I love cuz he gets the package, he brings it to the office and he's ripping it open and he's like there's all these fish. And he's clearly feeling in all the fish to like find which one has the the opal inside of it. But at the same time, this is when his worker, I think his name is Yusi, comes in, and he's like, "This is." He's like, "Howard, I've given you years of my life. Like, you know, these you got guys coming in here roughing me up. Like, I don't want to work for this." And he's like, "I'm going to leave you, and you're going to be embarrassed for losing me." And when Adam Sandler finds the gem, <laughs> and like the audio starts to fade out because Adam Sandler's so focused on the opal, you can hear Yusi say. You're looking like a fool out here in the Diamond District. Looking through fish? <laughs> and I'm like, that's that's great. And There's a lot of people I could be doing business with other than you, Howard. You're, you're, you're falling apart. You're looking like a fool out here in the Diamond District. Looking through fucking fish? Come on, man. I gave you eight years of my life and you can't even fucking uh, talk to me and uh, look me in the eyes? Man the fucking man? Holy shit, I'm gonna come. And fuck you, man. And then Adam Sandler looks up and he goes, I'm going to come. That's one thing, too. Before I even saw this movie, a bunch of those like specific moments I saw as like reactionary gifs on like the Internet and social media. I saw that. I saw that one. Um, I saw um, I disagree when he makes the the bet um, with the bookie and the other one being like, are you enjoying this? Yes. That's another one that I saw. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those movies. Like, I know, like, we've talked about it. I haven't done it in a while, but we talked about how things become popular. And it's like through, like, just meme ability. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one of those ones that you, it has those moments. Like, I disagree. I know that was, I, last time I really saw that was a big one was during the Academy Award nominations when he got snubbed. Oh, <laughs> that um, makes sense. Yeah. yeah but um, no, you think some of the other ones, though, would be something that would be really memeable considering that it's like Adam Sandler, I character so much. Um, but it wasn't. No, uh, that was just. Uh, yeah, it's interesting you bring that up, though. But yeah, interesting observation. So <laughs> the other thing I have to say about the movie, of course, clearly Zach and I 
enjoyed this movie. Uh, we've we've had some some deep thoughts on it, but I, I have to break it to you, Zach. There's something, there's an error in this movie that makes it 100% unwatchable, 0 out of 10 stars, unsubscribe. <laughs> okay. As, I'm, we've I'm, already said, as we've already said, we have the whole Passover dinner scene, and the oh. movie explicitly states that it is Passover. Mm-hmm. And not in that scene, but in the when they're at the play and Howard's, you know, texting Damani nonstop. The other family's like, what are you doing for Passover? So so it's in Passover season. In 2012, Passover went from April 6th to April 14th. I had to look that up. I don't know when Passover <laughs> is uh, off the top of my head. Just, just for okay. full disclosure. But in 2012, it was in April, clearly in beginning to mid-April. When we get the scene at the very beginning of uh-huh. Adam Sandler's colonoscopy... The printout, the the colonoscopy screen that has all the information says that the date is May 3rd, 2012. Jesus. Done. Done. How many, what do you think? 65 billion sins? How many dings can we put in right now? (laughs) No one should ever watch this movie because it is, how stupid could these directors be? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, know, you know what's really funny about that, though, is like you saw in the behind-the-scenes feature it where they're talking about how they had like a very specific window when they were looking for actors, and they're like, "Oh, we need to sit there and do this." So, like when we're like we were casting actors, it's like basketball still like players. We had to sit there and do this, and we had a very we had to find a player that had a really great game, a very bad game, then an exceptional game, and we had to make mm-hmm. sure it all worked out right. And then then Rob finds this, and jeez, zero you know out <laughs> you know, they're not, they only deserve to be called the Safety Brothers. So they're the Safety Brothers now. They're not, they don't even get the cool sounding name. <laughs> they're the Error Brothers, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. They're the Unsafety <laughs> Brothers. Maybe, maybe if I watch Good Time a few more times, I'll find some issue with that, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can just discredit them completely. <laughs> no, no, they, get, they deserve their snubs. Oh, yeah. No, I, I noticed that because I, for some reason, I noticed the date. Because when now when I watched it for this recording, I'd seen it you know two times prior, and so I was like looking at the tiny details and stuff I hadn't focused on previously, and and the date stuck out to me, and I was like, oh yeah, you know it says you know five three twenty twelve on the on the readout of the uh, the medical screen, and then we get the little like the time card where it says you know like Manhattan or New York City you know spring twenty twelve, so the 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 placard just says spring, but the computer screen says something different, and then I'm like. Passover. I'm like Passover's near Easter, isn't it? Like that's not in in May. <laughs> and so, uh, yes, I, I think the the final note of Uncut Gems is that it's terrible, and uh, everything we said is moot. <laughs> so uh, you, could, you could just uh, sorry, sorry, you wasted this time on, of your life, folks. It's a terrible. Movie. You never see it. <laughs> oh no, no, uh, yeah, that, uh, that caught sorry. my attention for sure. So I think the the only other scene that I wanted to point out, well. I have to say, um, the blinged out Furby chains at the beginning, great. I would, I would honestly own one of those. I don't think I'd wear it, but I would keep it somewhere in my ap- apartment or house. You know? <laughs> Did you know that for the this is A twenty four who uh, made this yes. film. And now they do a bunch of weird niche stuff. And did you know, like, when this movie first like, was released in December, they made, like, a very select amount of those, like, available on their website for purchase. Oh, my God. I did I, not know this. I think they were, like, I think they were about, like, four or $500 a piece. And I think and I, they went, like, super quick. Like, I would be shocked if they made more than maybe 30 of them. I'm not, like, I'm not was, surprised that it went fast. It's a great thing. Yeah, and that, essentially that was in the marketing. Like that was like one of the final shots of the trailer. Is that like with him with the uh, 
like, like wiggling the eyes back and forth. Forth. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I do remember that from the trailer. Um, yeah. So apparently, uh, an IndieWire article from January said that A twenty four sold them for two fifty, and they dropped on eBay at about a thousand dollars after that. Hot damn! I believe that. Yeah. Well. Uh, oh. Re- oh ben Affleck's okay, birthday is coming up, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> All right, may I do, considering we're talking about eBay and niche memorabilia from a Cinemodies episode, and it also will transition into my last point about the film, may I do a a small tangent? Uh, I'm going to say yes, but before that, the last thing I wanted to mention is that uh, the the music in the club scene when Howard uh, hits the weekend and the weekend comes out of the bathroom, it is a great song. It is Swimming Pools by Kendrick Lamar. And it's a perfect choice for that moment when they're fighting. I got a swimming pool full of liquor and they dive in it. Pool full of liquor, I'm going dive in it. Pool. Frank. Headshot. Frank. Sit down. Frank. Stand up. Frank. Pass out. Frank. Wake up. Frank. Fade it. Frank. Fade it. Frank. Frank. Got to get the music in there with the rapper series, Zach. But now, now you're good to go. (laughs) Okay, this is a final. Okay, just this morning, I was doing I was doing a Google image search for the 18s because why wouldn't I be doing that on a Friday morning? Because Zach has to make sure to constantly check that his (laughs) his folder of 18s pictures is complete every day. He needs to see if he's missed one or if there's a new one. Well, I I just discovered something new about the 18s that I never Uh-oh. knew existed. Ooh, is Rob, it a merchandise? Yes, it does. It Ooh. involves eBay. Rob, did you know that at one point there were 18s dolls? <laughs> like like plush or Barbie doll like Barbie, style? Like Barbie Okay, dolls. okay. No, I did I did not know uh, this. And I, uh, I don't think I would have ever known this. <laughs> and I, I did not know this until now. After God, Rob, we're going on almost twenty years. The nineteen, we're past nineteen years from the Teen Spirit album, and I just discovered this. And even worse, I found them on eBay. You know Uh-oh. how much they go for on eBay? I don't know, a hundred for $250 one hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars for the full set. For the full set, okay. Oh my. God. And there's four of them, right? Of course. I am offended that you even have to ask that question. <laughs> I, have to, I have to check. I See, I, I think I only watched those music videos once, and I think I remember Jesus. four. <laughs> it's like me, that's like me asking when Rob talks about Panda Bear. I'm like, is he a real bear? Does he have black and white spots? <laughs> I am insulted right now. Fair point. Fair point. That's a good analogy. <laughs> But no, but yes, I discovered that this morning. Considering we're talking about weird, like niche merchandise things based on cinematic topics, I felt it was only appropriate to throw this. Well, in there. it is, it is. I'm glad you brought that up because now I have questions. Are they posable? As posable as a Barbie doll can be. Oh, okay, okay. So that that's like what arm movement and leg movement, maybe a little head swivel. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I'd say glorify maybe like ten points of articulation. Okay. Do they come with different outfits? Or are they all just fixed? Fixed up. You know yeah. You know what the sh- well, the female outfits are kind of what you expect for early two thousands fashion. But, but there's the strangest- are there more no. than one of them. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think they might come okay. with an accessory, but I don't think anything. No, I think it's one outfit. Unless you find something else you want to dress them in that fits. Um, oh, sure. But but the strangest thing, and it's really strange considering where we are, where this thing is now in the culture. Donnie, who is the blonde eighteen, 
He is wearing a, the doll is wearing a Captain America shield T-shirt, <laughs> which which oh is, is, which is so strange to think of now the world we live in with like Marvel and how Disney would never allow that to happen for any yeah. black. And never mind, like back in like two thousand two thousand, I think these were probably made around two thousand one. Okay, the idea of a Captain America shield T-shirt didn't really become ubiquitous for like another ten plus years. Sure, absolutely. Like, it, it, as strange as it may sound, that like in two, like that's something that like if you imagine a Ken doll having a T-shirt in like 2013, that's what I would imagine. But for an 18th doll oh in 2001, God. that's so strange of a concept. I just pulled up a picture and I see exactly what you're talking right? about, and that is insane. <laughs> Where the you know yeah I see what you're saying the two the two women they got like you know what you'd expect like the like one's in pink and one's in purple. This fucking Donnie's got this Captain America shirt, and then the other mm-hmm. one just has a plain blue shirt. <laughs> and the strange thing is that clearly that would be licensing costs. So like yeah, like I I've never seen these before. Like I I think I even talked about it in the 18th episode. There's like practice outside of the CDs. There's very little 18th merchandise out there. Sure. And for something officially licensed, I have no idea how. If I, I, I don't know, I might have seen these at one point on the internet, but I don't remember them at all. Okay, okay. This is insane, Zach. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm looking at them, I'm looking at So to get back to the point I was making, you got the articulation. Maybe not outfits. I don't know from the boxes that I'm seeing. I don't know if there's an accessory or anything. But, but basically, the point I'm making is that um, tune in in maybe a month where... <laughs> Zach is going to start releasing on the Cinemodities YouTube channels his own 18s <laughs> dancing music videos <gasps> with the action oh figures. Like, Zach oh is going to learn stop motion. He's going to buy these, and he's going to learn stop motion, and he's going to create even more dancing for us. If you didn't get enough dancing in the 18s So much dancing. <laughs> so much dancing. So much dancing. Um, but, but, Dude, that's okay, crazy. The, I know. Um, okay, but bring it bring it. Right back to Uncut Gems, the last thing I want to talk about, and the thing that made me want to go see this movie in theaters, was the song that plays over the soundtrack. Yes. Or the, the, yes. the credits, I mean. And this is, and it's, and it's interesting, because I remember when I was watching this movie, I remember hearing this, because it starts to slowly fade in. We get another one of those things where we get to kind of the, uh, the astral, the camera flying through the astral thing of, of the gem, and what it looks like. Uh, the astral plane of the gem. Oh and, yeah, and it and it, and it um, ends up on the stars because, like he says at the beginning, they say you can see the universe in opals. I love that. Mm-hmm. And then slowly on the soundtrack, it cranks up Lamour Toujours Small Mix Remix by Gigi Agostino. <laughs> Gagastino, excuse me. And sure. Rob, this is like when I heard this, this is a Zach song with a capital <laughs> Z. This is, oh, it is just, it's beautiful. It is, it's classic Zach music. It's early, like it's early 2000s pop. I think it's early 2000s pop. And it is, oh, 
Oh, every every movie should have to end <laughs> with a up tempo pop song. It is it is a good song. It fits really well, and um, it it is it's you know it's pretty good. I'm not against it. <laughs> but that's the thing I find. Just again, if I could ask the Safety Brothers, because remember, folks, they're the Unsafe Brothers now. Um, <laughs> yes. If I could ask them one question about this film, like you have this movie where you have your protagonist is shot in the face. We have this very ethereal music as we go through the astral plane of the mm-hmm. of the gem of the opal. And then we cut to early 2000s era dance pop. And I'm like, where do you like like where did that idea come from? Sure. Like, like, oh, like it's great. And it's like, oh my God. It's, again, I, I went to go see this movie in theaters just so I could hear this. Um, I was disappointed severely, but mm. I, I, oh, it's just, it's, I, I just, I want to know why. Like, you have all the music you could play. You could pick a weekend song. You could pick yeah. any of this other, like, 2012, like, era, just like R&B, like you were saying. Like, you could pick anything that would have been more applicable. And play the Hanukkah song, song by Adam Sandler. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I just, I, 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 I don't get it. There's almost like, I, I don't disagree with it. Um, I, I think it works, but I am clearly predisposed to love this. Um, I think you could end, you could end any movie with this music and I'd be like, okay, I dig it. Um, but do you have, considering that you're the music person here between the two of us, do you have any insights as to why they would pick this, this type of song? No, I'm, I'm kind of with you in the sense that I, I would love to know how they got that idea. And, and I can't even pinpoint, you know, why I think it works so well, because, it is unexpected, but it, it fits. I think there might be some, you know, in the in the score for this movie, it is very minimal, and it made me think a little bit like the electronic, like the kind of minimal synth of it made me think a little bit of like the John Carpenter, but not as dark, a little more upbeat and or uplifting, I should say. And th- I think the, the sounds kind of fit with those two things. Like you get that, like you said, ethereal music as you're going through the opal um, or his gunshot wound, which is actually what we're going through at the end of the movie. And and then it kind of transitions into something that has maybe a very similar bass, but is more pro, uh, pronounced. And it it works. I but I would love, like you said, I would love to get a sense of you know how the hell did they think to do that? Because I I was reading, either I was reading or it was in the bonus thing. I don't remember which. I think I was reading it that um, the guy who did the score for this movie, whose name I did not write down, um, he actually did some individual songs with the weekend that ended up not being used in the film and it's like well why not like go to that like perfect use one of those that's your um your end credits song but they didn't they had they clearly had another vision that's the sort of thing though that that would have made sense though and i would love to know because even like i did find out the the release date of the song and it was released to american clubs and dance radio in july 2000 okay okay so so like like, narratively and thematically it kind of doesn't fit in but like you look at the lyrics of the song, I still believe in your eyes. I just don't care what you've done in your life, baby. I'll always be here by your side. Don't leave me mm-hmm. waiting too long. Please come by. Um, I'll fly with you. I'll fly with you. I'll fly with you. And it's very simplistic when it comes to lyrics. There's pretty much that, like any sort of good pop song, just repeated ad nauseum. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, like it's, it's a song that's been remixed a dozen times, dozen plus times. But it's. It is very much an early 2000s song, despite the fact that really nothing else in the film ties into that. 
Yeah, Except yeah, the, exactly. Outside maybe the Furby thing, because the Furby is clearly an early two thousand, mm-hmm. a relic of the early two thousands. Yeah, that, but that's so minimal in the movie. You know, that connection is just would be crazy if they were thinking that. But yeah, we'd have to we'd have to ask him to find out. Um, and I guess I guess that leads me into the next thing. Uh, do you want to explain? Yes. Who who yes. did get to ask the safety brothers questions? <laughs> oh God, it's such a strange. Okay, <laughs> it's kind of weird that like this this happened twice with a movie where the first time I watched this movie, I thought I was watching something that wasn't, but it turned out to be what it was. And then when I sat down in the theater to watch this, because at this point, I think I should mention that, uh, uh, the, when I did the last movie I've ever seen in the movie theater, I saw it at the Galleria, the infamous Avengers movie theater. And I, 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 ever since I've done reserved seating folks, Zach does not wait online for movies anymore or get there like 20 minutes in advance. Um, the gallery, I don't think I've even talked about this. It might, it might have been in the what was the last movie you and I talked about like seeing in a theater? Was it Doctor Sleep? Mm, probably Doctor Sleep, yeah. Maybe probably Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep or Knives Out. Oh, but, but Knives Out, I think record. we talked more about Knives Out, not really the theater experience. Yeah, but I don't think we haven't talked about Knives Out on the record though. Oh, oh, on the podcast, then yeah, definitely yeah. Doctor Sleep. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Sleep. Dr. Sleep. I don't know if it was mentioned in that conversation or not, but the thing the Galleria has, had was doing, who knows if they'll do it once we go back to normal, was that like if a movie starts at three o'clock, the you still have like the twenty minutes of nonsense. But what they are doing now is that, but like a movie starts, it's supposed to start at three. But there's like before the previews, you have like five minutes of more nonsense. So you have a movie that's supposed to start at three and it won't start until like 325 or even 330. So now with reserved seating, what I'll do is for that same circumstance, like I'll go see a movie at three o'clock, but I won't walk into the theater until like 20 minutes after the quote unquote start time. And that's something I did very similarly, or I, I did for uncut gems. I walked in like 20 minutes after the showtime. And so like I get in the only pre, I saw one preview. I think it was for trolls world tour or whatever that movie is called. And then Mm -hmm. like the, it was just weird. No, no, that was for cats. What what preview did? Oh yeah. There was a preview for a movie. I was really excited to see by, I can't remember the name of it now. No, it wasn't for Troll. <laughs> That'd be really funny seeing a preview for Trolls World Tour in front of um, <laughs> Uncut Gems. No, that was in front of Cats. I saw that preview in front of Cats. Excuse me. Um, no, okay, whatever it was. I saw one preview for a movie that seemed pretty interesting, which I kind of, like, in retrospect, I kind well, in retrospect, and then even back then, I regretted not getting to Uncut Gems earlier because usually all the previews before an A24 film are pretty interesting. And anyway, though, so the movie begins, so, like, the previews end... And I'm like, okay. And like the movie begins with like like a diner in Los Angeles. And they're like, they're like, it's like uh, like January 2020. And I'm like, what? I'm like, mm-hmm. this isn't how the movie's supposed to begin. I'm supposed to be in Ethiopia in 2011. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, or it's like in 2000, it's like, what is going on? And it's like two guys like in a booth and they're like, hi, we're like, we're what? Oh god, what are the safety brothers' names? Benny and Greg? Josh, I think. Josh, Benny and Josh, thank you. And they're like, hi, I'm Benny and I'm Josh. And we're the safety brothers. Like, we want like like we're in a diner because we want to sit there and talk to like our friend, the Sandman, Adam Sandler, and we want to talk to him about uncut gems. We're only doing this because we're re-releasing the film in the theaters. If we don't release it with something like special, people won't go see it. So stay tuned after the movie to see us interview Adam Sandler. And the whole time, like one of them's wearing a neck brace, and it's like like they showed like all these kind of like candid cameras, like locate all throughout the restaurant 
restaurant, like across the street from the restaurant. And they're like, stay through. If you want to see us, like talk to Adam Sandler about like the filmmaking process of the film. Like, we hope you enjoy it. It's like, okay, the movie begins. The whole time, like, until they introduce themselves, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm in the wrong movie theater. Because, like, I literally <laughs> yep. sprint, like, I legit sprinted into the theater. I just, like, I just figured, like, okay, like, I, I think this is the right theater. And so, like, the movie ends. I think it ended at, like, 6 o'clock, and I, I, didn't, have to, I didn't have to be somewhere until, like, 6.30. And so the entire time, I, I'm like, I kind of want to see where this goes. Yep. And I watched it. Like, and the problem is that, like, I stayed for at least 20 minutes like of this. And it's, it was the strangest, strangest thing I've ever seen bookend a movie. And it's a shame <laughs> that like, I didn't get to see how it wrapped up because I had to leave. I recorded 20 minutes of it and then I'd left, but on the Blu-ray, it's not on there. And, and it is, it is like, as Rob can tell you, like he only heard it, he didn't get to see this. Like at one point, Adam Sandler shows up dressed as you would imagine Adam Sandler would dress up, not expecting to be filmed. And then like the waitress shows up, but the waitress is in on it, and she's like, "Hi, my name." She's like, "Hi, I'm Deb." And like, oh god, they're making an IMDb reference, and she's like asking like <laughs> a- she's like asking them all these questions about like uncut gems. And Adam Sandler's like, "Oh, like you're too kind." Like I'm not sure if he's in on the joke or not. And then, like, out of nowhere, Jason Bateman shows up, and he's asking questions. <laughs> yeah, I know. I Like Zach said, I never got to see this, but I listened to the audio that, that you had. And, and it, it, it really does, with, with what you've told me about the visuals and how it actually plays out, it, it's, like a, it, it's like if David Lynch filmed a behind-the-scenes Q&A. It's so strange. Yeah, it's so strange. It's like it's one of those things where I really wish I could have seen how it wrapped up. Cause like, and the problem is that like when I eventually left, they were finally getting into some like like hearty oh. like film yeah. like, behind the scenes stuff. But for that twenty minutes, man, it was just it was nonsense. Like it was just pure, just nonsensical uh, madness. And I'm like, I'm like. I have to be the only person who sat through at least part of that because okay. I went online. I couldn't find any of it. Like I, not even people talking about it. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where like, like obviously you, I don't think we can insert any clips of it. Cause I don't think it does it justice. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, m- much it's like also our- not really like, like you said, when you left, it was getting into it. There's nothing really in what I heard. That's enlightening to any sense. No, no. It's more just like, what is going on? It, it's, it's yeah. exercise and befuddlement. <laughs> um, yeah it's uh it's it's something else it's it's a shit i, I would have obviously it exists if somebody has a copy of it somewhere mm-hmm. but it's it's one of those things where i think it works better as just kind of like relic like i i look forward to in five years making the lost media entry of the uncut gems re-release in february 2020 of the safty brothers trying to punk adam sandler with jason <laughs> bateman yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, so the the Safe Die Brothers, if you want us to pronounce your name correctly, come on this podcast and tell us, but also bring, you know, a print of that so we can watch it too. <laughs> yes, we, are, we have so many questions to ask. Um, outside of the soundtrack, that's our next question. What is up with that weird interview you did? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, I think I had one more thing um, to get at before our questions. And it is Adam Sandler related because, of course, you know, like we talked about already, this is our second Adam Sandler movie on Cinemodities. The first one was That's My Boy. And I remember that when we discussed That's My Boy, Zach did his usual thing and went to see what other people were saying. And, of course, everybody hated this movie. But 
I remembered, Zach, that you told me about a podcast that you found called Adam Sandler, Please Stop. Yes. And, oh, and we no, don't have no. Oh, no. <laughs> we don't have to get into how, because go back to listen to our That's My Boy episode where we talk about how they review Adam Sandler movies and how Rob thought it was the stupidest thing a person could ever do to review a movie. Um, but I was interested to see, did they review this movie? Because it's an Adam Sandler film. And I have not listened to it, but their episode in December is on Uncut Gems. Oh, oh, thank God so, I didn't listen to it. I, oh, yeah, I had no, I have no desire to listen to that because it's the, their structure, if they haven't changed it up from, you know, the time of That's My Boy, whenever they did that. I don't know the date of their release on that episode, but that is, watching a movie in parts and then discussing it is dumb. <laughs> now, now that's a bad decision. <laughs> so well, they I didn't listen this to it. If they released the episode in December, they must have seen it in theaters. Yes, so they, yes, they, so they couldn't have done that. They, oh, they couldn't have done so, that. Oh, that's a good question. The only thing that makes me think that they might have, if they kept to their structure, is that uh, from what I read, there are three hosts. Maybe oh. one of them saw the first third. <laughs> the second one saw the second third. And then they saw the last third. Oh, God. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't know. But but I had to bring that up because I remember we we harped on that, the, the idiocy of that idea. But that's a good point. I didn't think about it that way if it was in December. End of December, I think the episode came out. But yeah, Adam Sandler, please stop. I I hope that they're not saying please stop anymore because clearly he has good movies in him. Whether we think it's That's My Boy or Uncut Gems, there, there's no reason to discount him completely. You know? Exactly. I couldn't yeah. agree more. Yeah. All right. Well, if, there, if there's nothing else, then I think uh, we can get into our questions. And we'll start with Cinemodities in the Late Night. And I think I want to start with Cinemodities because I... I mentioned my uh, my description that I have in my notes for this earlier. I think this movie is an exercise in anxiety, with a big part of you know, the decisions he makes, the um, the the gambling addiction, the the essence and energy of this movie, along with the chaotic audio mixing that still gets the point across. I think all of that makes this a definite cinemodity. As far as late night, I think it goes back to what I just previously said. If there's people out there saying, Adam Sandler, please stop. And even though I wasn't saying that, I know back in That's My Boy episode, I described the idea where I was like, I gave up on Adam Sandler comedies. And then That's My Boy was good fun. I think this is a movie that is a great Adam Sandler performance, like we said, in his wheelhouse, but still great. And it's a unique movie that I think a bunch of people should see. So I'm going hell yes for late night. Because I think also it's it's going to lead to good discussion, like Zach and I have shown off today. So I'm going yes to both. What about you? Um, I'm going to say no to Cinemodity and yes to Late Night Movie. Okay, so why the no on Cinemodity? Uh, I think it's a well-made movie. I don't. I think it's mm. a quality. Qual. Uh, oh God, the quality is there. Um, top notch. Um, having again. Movies can do can be different without being oddities. That's that's a good point. And I think that's what this is. I don't think there's anything bizarre about this. I think it's a very it's a unique story, but nothing odd about it. Um, as for late night movie, I think this would work very much as something you watch like at night. I I don't think too late because I think if you watch it too late, you might get a little too like wow, like it might it stimulates <laughs> you a little too much. Yeah, uh, but, something, but something you start around like nine no later than nine o'clock, I think would be interesting. Okay, okay, I can get behind that. And then that brings us to the snacks. So uh, I wanted to give a quick update 
um, because I, I don't know if Zach saw. Uh, there was a uh, one of our fans, Maximo, in the Knights of Vader Facebook group, uh, mocked up a, a great screenshot of um, Mortal Engines. Jeez, my brain was having trouble remembering the name of that movie because I want to block it out so bad. But uh, he took a screenshot from Mortal Engines of London chasing the small town at the beginning, and he put Cinemodity's restaurant on the on London, and he put McDonald's symbol on the small thing. And he was like, this is a picture of the Cinemodity's restaurant in 15 years or something like that. And I was like, that's great, but I hope we beat McDonald's to the punch uh, so we can just consume them while they're still stationary. So with that being mine, I love that picture. So shout out to Maximo once again. Uh, I think we shouted him out before. Um, I do want to give an update on the restaurant becoming mobile. We're getting there. It's taken some time. As you can imagine, making an infinite void mobile is difficult. So we found that it's better to work on the restaurant from the outside rather than the inside. Because when we hired our engineers and they were doing measurements of how big like the tracks and the and like the um, you know tank style motion that we need when they were on the inside of the restaurant, they couldn't get measurements because it's infinite. But on the outside, they can get some measurements because it's finite. So things things are going a little better now that we've corrected that. It's still going to take a lot of time, but we're still working on it. And don't worry, one day. Your homes and favorite restaurants will be a, will be devoured by the Cinemati's restaurant, just as everybody else was, is, will be. <laughs> so that's the quick update I wanted to give there. And and then I, I also wanted to ask you, Zach, I, I have some snacks for this movie, but one, I don't think it's a very food-heavy movie, unless, I mean, of course, we've got the Passover dinner. And oh, I, guess there's a lot, we, I think there's a lot of food in this. I was surprised by how many options we had. Really? I See, I thought there was a lot of food... But not in the way that I wanted to work with, in, in, in the sense that it was kind of surface-level food. So I had three snacks. Do, do you want to go first to see maybe if any of ours overlap? <laughs> I like that. I don't have a lot of snacks. I have three snacks. Well, that's not um, a lot of snacks. <laughs> that's, that's usually two more than I have. Um, I think I feel like I've done half an hour rants on snacks before. <laughs> three, three is nothing. <laughs> Okay, um, I think there's a ton of food stuff in this movie, surprisingly. We have, okay. uh, first and foremost, we should have somebody offering waters and Powerades to everybody, despite the fact that they don't want it. Like, you want a Powerade? I can get you a Powerade. Oh, how did I not write that down? I don't even, what the, Jesus, Zach, that, what the hell's wrong with me? I should, yes, we should always have, like, our, our annoying waiters constantly being like, can I get you a water? Can I get you a Powerade? And then exactly. if they get slapped, you know, then they can retaliate in some way. <laughs> what mm-hmm. I tell you, no water. <laughs> um, we should have a feature too, where we have like like a, maybe like a specialty cocktail where it's uh it comes in a little mini aquarium and you pour the Powerade into it. Um, that's another thing <laughs> oh, you can well, do. Co- I got a little mini aquarium glass. That I like that, but that would make sense to me that I didn't pick that up as a snack because I don't like when fish get hurt. Check back okay. to our Tangerine Reef episode where I describe my love for marine life, and it's the only thing I kind of actually care about in the world. So Damani is the worst character in this movie because he kills fish, and that's fucked up. Even though kind of Howard kills his own fish because he puts it in a little glass and doesn't do anything with it, so of course it's going to die. <laughs> um, we also have the notion of what uh, Dina is eating, barbecue chicken. I um, did have that one. because I figured had that. Because she's eating barbecue chicken, and while she's heating it up in the microwave, the daughter comes in and gets cake. Yes. So my thought was, why don't we have 
barbecue chicken flavored cake. <laughs> I wanted to combine those things. I I'm curious. I want we we never get a clear shot of the cake. I'm I'm curious what kind of cake it is. That's true. We don't. We I think we just see her what like we see her mouth chewing a little bit at one point. Mm-hmm. And the only reason we know is because she pulls a foil-covered thing out of the fridge, which I thought would be, like, the chicken. Like, maybe they cooked a whole chicken or something. Yeah. But then she's like, is this the cake? And I'm like, okay, she's eating cake, I guess. So, <laughs> so yeah. And then I think there's some sides. Like, maybe there's, like, some carrots or something on the barbecue chicken plate or something like that. But I wanted to combine those because I like barbecue chicken. I'm okay on cake. I mean, carrot cake, I think, is my favorite cake. I'm not into, like, a like a birthday cake or an ice cream cake, none of that nonsense, but a barbecue chicken flavored cake. <laughs> I think we could pull that off and and that would be like a great, you know, advertising thing to be like, look at what we have now, barbecue chicken flavored cake. Oh, oh, because it could be like a uh, like a traditional cake with like the you have the the layers of the of the sponge and the frosting. And the sponge would be made. Oh my god, I'm figuring out. The sponge would be made with chicken broth, and then the icing would be barbecue sauce. Oh god. Oh god. That uh, sounds terrible. Horrible. And perfect for our restaurant. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I uh, uh, if if uh, if things ever open again, I might make that <laughs> and see if I can convince somebody that's chocolate cake and get them to eat it. <laughs> what would a cake taste? What would a cake mix taste like if instead of using like water or something, you used like chicken, chicken broth? Chicken stock? Oh my god! Yeah, that is, that is a very good question, and it's so simple. I want to try it. <laughs> That's what I think. A chicken broth, a chicken stock's like what two dollars? Think a cake? Yeah, mix I might is like like a buck. I might get on Amazon tonight and have it delivered. <laughs> just, just so I can do it while we're all locked inside. <laughs> but then, then the only problem is I'd have to be the one to taste it. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Um, you know, leave it out for the skimwalker with a comment card, being like, like, <laughs> yes, no, maybe. Well, now you would definitely now you be drawn thinking, to that. Now you got me thinking I'm going to do one of those stupid cartoon traps where it's going to be the box held up by the stick, <laughs> with this barbecue chicken cake underneath it, <laughs> and a sign that says chocolate cake, and see who I capture. <laughs> How do you catch a skinwalker with a uh, <laughs> chicken barbecue cake? Cool. How else would you catch a skinwalker? Oh. oh my god! Okay, so yeah, I did pick up on the barbecue chicken and the cake. So yeah, that that food moment definitely stood out to me. <laughs> um. Oh god, what else was there? Um. I think we should have a black light for any time the weekend shows up to perform at the Cinematis restaurant. Because he needs a black light, he will. He told them he's not going to perform unless he has a black light, and that, <laughs> that goes applies into, to everybody. Uh, true, true. I like that. That goes into how I want to end this episode with the that scene where the week right before the weekend performs, the whole crowd goes black light, black light, black light, <laughs> and and she gets this black light. And um, where the fuck's the black light? What's going on back there? No, I asked for black light. I'm not performing until there's fucking black light on this fucking stage. Put on the black light. So yeah, okay. I like that. We could have some black lights in the restaurant. Um, I, I we would have to. Be a black light. We would have to. 
I don't know, either place them strategically or be better with our cleanup. Because the black light might show <laughs> off some fluids that we don't want the other customers to know about in our restaurant, right? Oh, good lord. Imagine if someone with a jizzle walked by with the black light still <laughs> yeah. on. That's exactly what I'm saying. Our employees in their jizzles, these, uh, those would be um, shining bright in that section of the restaurant. <laughs> like a Jackson Pollock. The Cinematis restaurant turns into a Jackson Pollock painting at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, oh god, what was the last thing I had? Oh my god, I lost it. I, the chicken barbecue cake made me lose everything I had. In my, okay, I got. I, okay, I have my final snack, but I'm not sure if that's the final one I have, um, or, or it's the final one. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like I had a couple more though. I kind of lost. Um, so if you want to think on it, I did have another. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, go ahead. There's when the second time we get to see Mike Francesca when um, when Howard pawns the Celtic ring. And he knows that Kevin Garnett's going to do better because of the gem. He goes back to Mike Francesca, who is in the back of the restaurant, and he's yelling at a a cook or, or some part of the staff where he's like, you got your salad, you got your lettuce, you got your eggs, you got your onions. There's no carrots in the salad. Hey, Anson, where's he at? He's in the back. He's in the back. Hey. You got him making meatballs in the back. All right. You have your romaine. You have your crotons. You have your eggs. No carrots in the salad. What do you want? And then, like, it gets cut off. And so I was, like, kind of maybe not bothered by this, but I was a little like, oh, why not, Mike Francesca? Because I love, like, carrots in my salads. Like, you know, you shave a carrot, like, with a vegetable peeler, get those strings. And I was like, well, why can't we have salad with carrots in it? And I, I guess, you know, maybe they don't, it's their restaurant, they don't want to put carrots in their salad. But my idea of a snack was if we have a salad, it's going to have carrots in it. I think we have, maybe we have some mix and match, pick your own toppings for salads somewhere, but the toppings aren't food. But if Mike Francesca ever comes into the Cinemodities restaurant, he's going to be given a salad on the house with carrots in it. What do you think? <laughs> Just because sure, I don't Rob. like him saying you can't put carrots in the salad. Because carrots and salad are great. Uh, sure. I like also when Adam Sandler walks in the second time. He's like, oh, he talks to the maitre d'. He's like, oh, you got him making meatballs in the back? Oh, <laughs> yeah. And he's yelling at an employee. Great. Uh, the last snack that I had comes out of the kids' school play. No! Don't that was take it! Yeah. I, okay, this is my gold final. coins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, that's our overlap. Okay, yeah, go yep. for it. What were you thinking? Oh, I think we just we. I, okay, that moment happens in the film, and everybody like in the audience, including Adam Sandler, loses their minds. They're like, oh, and they're you like get the I, shot I, of Adam Sandler, and he goes, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> And I love the idea of just having a, a girl like just like uh, vomiting coins. I like that. I like it as a concept. Yeah, I, it. I, I like it too. And I was kind of – I wrote that down. My note was just gold coins because I was kind of torn. Do we want somebody vomiting gold coins or do we want somebody eating the gold coins that are vomited? And now that I, now that I say it in this recording, you know, we, we could – have chocolate coins. I don't. I haven't seen chocolate coins since I was like twelve. Those gotta still be around, right? They still exist. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I was thinking. Well, now I'm thinking. What if we sold chocolate coins 
but you have to eat them with the foil on, <laughs> which will make you throw up the chocolate coins and the foil. So it's kind of like you get the whole experience. And if you okay. don't throw them up, back in the claws episode where you're eating foil and you're just going to cut up your intestines. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. I, don't that, that works. Gold, I haven't seen, yeah, that I haven't thought about that in forever. Gold chocolate coins. Yeah. They got to still be around. There's no way they would have gone out of fashion. You know, if anything, they would, they would have changed up the packaging to maybe make them, you know, easier to open or easier to get the foil off. But I'm not saying they're ever hard to get the foil off, but you know, you don't want, people you know just eating eating the foil but that's one of those products where the foil is clearly gold and shaped and looks like a coin why would you eat it <laughs> i don't know rob people are goofy tune in next week for our bonus episode on the history and the future of chocolate coins <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was the last one i had on my list was that uh, the vomiting gold coins i think we need to integrate that somehow um whether or not it's a uh an event where we can, you know, show off people vomiting chocolate coins or they're eating vomited chocolate gold coins or they don't even have to be chocolate. I'm getting on the chocolate thing now. I mean, I don't know. We don't want to serve people actual gold. Like we could use that for the restaurant. <laughs> yes. If, if, if we have someone, if we take a picture of one of our employees with the evil camera and it shows them vomiting doubloons, we're not going to give that to the customer. We're going to keep that for ourselves. <laughs> Uh, Rob, who knows? We'll figure it out. That's yep, yep. The uh, that's the that's the corporate motto of the restaurant, and the restaurant has a lot of mottos that the customers can see. The corporate motto at our board meetings is always, "Who knows?" <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Alrighty, Rob. So uh, I know we, I know you already mentioned uh, how we're going to end this episode, but I'm kind of shocked that we made it this far into pretty much the ending, right? Like, there's nothing much more for us to talk about, right? I. I think so. I didn't have anything else to talk about with the bonus features um, or the, the behind the scenes. I mean, I thought that was interesting, but I think we touched on all the, the big topics that related to our discussion. Uh, and I know you also mentioned that we're talking about Thriller next week. Spoiler alert, not the Michael Jackson related one, <laughs> the Ad Astra related one. <laughs> That's going to leave them scratching their heads for a week. <laughs> but what there's... rapper is an Ad Astra? <laughs> uh, Brad Pitt. Uh, and Tommy Lee Jones. Um, but Rob, I am shocked that we made it through this entire discussion and you did not mention Eric Bogosian's most famous role. Oh, that, oh, you're right. Yes, I want to be noted right. that we did not mention that Eric Bogosian, who plays Arno in Uncut Gems, also starred in Another Cinematis topic, Tales from the Dark Side, the Tear Collector episode playing the role of the junkie. Oh, I I had a different role. I had two different roles in mind. One Cinematis and one not. He's the dead he's the dead guy in uh, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle when they do the crime scene scene. Yup. And he's also when when you when well when you said his greatest role you know, I'm thinking as the captain for a few seasons on Law and Order: Criminal Intent when Vincent D'Onofrio was still around on that show. Eric Bogosian's great. I like Eric Bogosian, even the, the little stuff that I've seen him in as a cadaver in Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Just, I think I, I think I say in that episode, I wish we saw him more. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and he's. This is probably the 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 most. Well, he has a lot to do in Law and Order for sure. Don't get me wrong, but he's the 
he's an obstacle to some extent, like a lot of the captains and higher-ups are on Law & Orders for our main detectives. But he's great in this role. I think he, he does some awesome you know, facial acting where you never really know if he's content with how he's treating Adam Sandler. Like when he gets him in the car and he's like, you know, he's like, I canceled the bet. You stopped the bet. You stopped the bet. When he's getting his clothes ripped off, you kind of see Eric Bogosian being like, I know I need to do this, but I'm conflicted about it. And I, I like him. He's good. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I only know him. I, I only know him as two bit actors in uh, movies and TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Un- unfortunately. Oh, geez. Apparently he's been, Working since 1983. That's crazy. Hot damn. All right, Rob. So I know we wanted to wrap this episode up with some blacklight, but also can we play some of my favorite, some of my 2000s era pop as well? So some of the, I don't know, whatever the French name of the song is. Can we play some of that in reverse? Oh, yeah. L'Amour Torge or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking because. My my original thought was that we would end it with that um, scene where we get to see the weekend perform, and I liked that because we get some weekend in reverse, and then it would cut to reverse the crowd chanting blacklight. But I think that we hear the crowd chanting blacklight longer than we actually hear the weekend seeing without other dialogue in front of it. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll probably do a mix of where we'll get some of the end credits song in reverse, and then it'll f- fade into the crowd chanting blacklight because even even if you're the weekend i think when you're performing that song that great you know like we said early 2000s pop song you still need some blacklight right i was told there was going to be blacklight i'm not performing without any blacklight i'm hell no you know Yeah, pal, what's up for the 